Motown Rundown. Welcome back. Today is Thursday, May 5th. A lot to talk about today, guys. I know we're uh, kind of a week out now from the NFL draft. Uh, we still have not done our end of year recap for the Detroit Red Wings, but we will get to all of that today. Um, no Tigers, maybe. Who knows? We have Ryan Collins for a short period of time today. He's got. How about this? The Tigers the suck. That's, I mean, there it is. And that's Tigers for the week. And maybe what's it called, Rabs? I'm starting to get on. I'm not on like fire AJ Hinch, but I want it thrown out there. Oh, <laughs> I know. I just want it thrown out there. I'm tired of him just going blameless in this thing. He's a part of. Yeah, you're too. you're you're done. You're done just chalking up like I'm going to AJ Hinch's every Friday night to hang out. Maybe you're maybe you know maybe he's not it's, as cool it's as you one thought of those he was. It's like, oh, just blame Avila for the roster. No, I'm gonna blame AJ Hinch for bringing in Hutchinson after one shaky inning. He brings him in in the second inning of yesterday's doubleheader against the Pirates, and he gets lit up. I think that's AJ Hinch's fault. Guess what? He's not blameless in this slow start. You're a good man for that, Ryan Collins. You're a good man. Okay. Trent, I wanted to get to um, – is that all for Tigers? We, we, we can wrap it up there. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah I I mean, mean, how about yeah. this? How about this? How about this? Need a big weekend this weekend. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ryan Collins came back on my side a bit with the A.J. Hinch thing. And not that I hate A.J. Hinch or dislike him or whatever. Just not sold. So, Ryan Collins, I will give you your due. I think Robbie Grossman has been the best player on this team for the last month or so, a couple weeks. How about that? How about that? Robbie Grossman has been good. He's batting 300 something. He's getting on base. Yeah. I would give Look, I, I, I went on the record on uh, my, my final to green me. and white report. And I, I said that like, I want, you know, Robbie Grossman traded and whatnot. And then since then he's proceeded to have a fantastic week. Little green and white report bump. Yeah. Shout out. Go listen if you Shout want out. to, uh, but Fred, anyway. that's the, that's the other thing I wanted to get to before we got rolling today was uh, how, what is your status as far as finals and graduation and how are we looking over there? How are the emotions? How do we feel? What's going I have, on? Update I, I finished, I finished my last exam today at about three fifty six PM and it's four fifty six right now. It's been about, yeah, it's been about an hour. Uh, wow. I, I'm all done. Yep. How do you feel? Uh, great. I've already had about two or three shots of something. Wow. Not, yeah. Oh, we're getting after it. So, so hand dog. If, if, if I can take, I understand. Tennessee, right? Yes. We don't, we don't, <laughs> we don't do sick days on this podcast, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now, if I need to use a caveat for like, I might be impaired and my takes might be terrible today. It, I'm, I'm using it on this show right now because. Are you saying this is the first time you recorded while drinking? Cause that's, I can't say that. No, yeah, no, nice that, that's not true. What I'm saying is I'm making it known this time, whereas usually I do not. But, hey. There was a couple times last year, quarantine. Yeah. So, hey, guys, we're going on a Thursday night. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Just Didn't like we do, I, now that I can say this now that Trent has done his last green and white report. I which probably first shouldn't of all, say this. Probably shouldn't ha- say that. Never mind, never mind. Uh Oh, we'll save we'll save that for the archives down the road. But yeah. on that note, as I recover here from almost blowing the top off of something that didn't need to be said, um, Trent. So your last green and white report, how was that? Emotional? What's how is how did it feel? No, I was emotional. It was more emotional for my uh, my my co-host Luke Sloan. He started crying. He, he did. He did. He did really? a little bit. I uh, I did not. I actually I don't know if you guys listen to this. I got choked up during one part of my speech, and it was when I, I listened to it. 
It was when I started talking about this show, this podcast. Really? Yes. Dude, I have yes. to listen to it if you guys put it out. I meant to do that, and then I just forgot about it, but I would like to I was to listening live, Trent, actually, for the first yeah. time. Wow. Wow. Two we should have called in. Damn it. Listen, Damn. hey, raps. Did you guys figure out the phones, by the way? No. No, never did. Four I years. Of- figure out the phones. <laughs> Four years at Impact, never figured out the phones. I will say this. I, in my little speech, in my bullet point speech, I the two biggest thank yous I gave were to you guys. Thank you very much for... Obviously, Rabs. Rabs, I sent you the email that I that I sent you way Unbelievable. back in 2018 before I had your time. Over. Yeah. Uh, I, and it starts with, hello, Ryan. My name is Trent yeah. Valley, and I'm a big Detroit sports fan. I would love to come on your podcast sometime. And then, you know. Yeah, back when it was a solo show. And it just happened to be that Ryan Collins wanted to come on that same day, and then we haven't looked back. Fun stuff. But, yeah, that was the only, that was the only part of my little spiel that I got emotional about. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It still doesn't feel real. Like, you know, after, cause, cause I take weeks off here and there for lions games or whatnot. So like, it'll, it'll feel more than every week. Trent. I, there was a lot of mismatch. Yeah. This yes. This, this last year was a lot of like, uh, it, it was just a hodgepodge of people. So it'll start to feel real. Once I go like a month without doing the show, that's when it's going to start to set in a little bit and I'm at home and that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, it, it was, it was a great show. Go, go give it a listen. If you want to people. Shout out to Hank, that. my guy. I'm going to do that. Is Hank a senior? Hank's a junior. He's also in Thailand right now, Hank. No, but what's it called? I just, I, the best thing about, I think I went up to state for the Western Kentucky game and we went, we were walking down Dunson Street because front of the pod, Rob, lives on uh, Fry. And we were walking down because we wanted, I think we went and said hi to someone. And Hank is just in the middle of the street, just, I just clowning around. I was like, God, what a beast. I love that guy. Love that guy. <laughs> He's, While we're at it, we can shout out Rob National Champs, right? Roller hockey. Dude, I literally asked him, I'm like, can I buy merch? <laughs> <laughs> With George, pizza or uh, Cottage Inn George is the head coach. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable What's it program. called? I mean, they moved on to D2, so it doesn't really count. But uh, yeah, good for them. I count it. I count it in my book. But um, I, I don't. They never got over the hump against Farmingdale and D1. I'll just say <laughs> oh, really? If you Trust me, him, I was the director can't of player ops for a couple of years. <laughs> if you can't beat him, move down a division. I, I walked in the cottage one guys, night though. to order my usual stagger home, and George asked me to play. It's a fun fact. Could, what could have been? I, 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 I could have they been. Were, dude, they're pretty good. I mean, Because I've never played roller hockey in my life. I've always been on the ice. Well, they're actually, like, pretty good. But I just, like, oh, yeah. still, they never got it done at D1. Can't hack it at the big leagues. Is it a, is it a huge difference? Is the roller hockey to ice hockey a is it a huge difference? It's George, di- it's a lot more different than you'd think. Okay. George Stopping always used hard. to say. George always used to say to me something along the lines of like, if you ha- like the hands translate, and you'll you just got to get used to like the skating. When I and I was like, George, I don't really have hands to begin with. So like, there's I'm fighting an uphill battle. But well, wait, do you, been? Still, do you still use a you use a puck or a ball or what? Like it's a what? puck. It's like a slidey. It's a different puck, but it's a puck. Okay. Yeah. Turn, like the turn, yeah, like the whole hockey aspect. It's like different rules. Playing defense is different and stuff. But like the turning and stopping, like you gotta. I it's like I don't know. I don't know why we're talking about roller hockey, but you gotta. It's like you can tell. <laughs> You can tell guys who just play hockey and then just play roller and then guys who are like kind of accustomed to it. Yeah. But 
Anyways, yeah, Trent, the good thing about your situation is you guys are in your house till August. So it could be just absolute yes. mayhem. And I'll be up. I told I told Trent that I'm I'm going to try to get myself up there because fun fact here to maybe transition to the new era, not to make this all about me. Um, Zach Rabinowitz, younger brother of yours, truly is committed to Michigan State University. Really? Go yeah, green. Hey, go. Good job, yes. Rabs. Good job yes. for you. I remember two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whenever Easter was, we were talking about this. Yeah. I want to push it on him, but I don't want to pressure him. Yeah. Congrats to Zach. That's awesome. Yes. So I'm one for one on giving tours to MSU and then getting the commitment. So I'm excited for him. He's he's kind of, I mean, he's just, you know, he's a little bit of a different cat than I am, Zach. A little bit quieter kid, more reserved. But he was like, yeah, I guess I'll try it for a semester. So I think he's going to have, as I did, the best four years of your life, as they say. So I, I, I think he'll have a great time. I think it was a really good decision for him. So I'm hoping not to not to just pump his tires and not to jinx him. My little brother, who admittedly is is a better all-around athlete than I was, and that's probably the first time that's being said out in the open. This kid <laughs> is batting like 415 right now on high school ball. I would like to have him send an email to Jake Boss Jr. and be like, hey, they could use him. gotta come catch bullpens for you. They could the use guy. him. They could absolutely so use him. Baseball team is in a brutal streak right now. No, they've won a couple games actually, but they suck. Jake yeah. Boss should be come on, come on. Jake, like Boss Jake, Boss? Senior. Jake Boss Senior used to be my uh, teacher and coaching baseball one on one or whatever I took. Yeah. Are you saying Jake Boss is objectively a good coach? I know it's hard to good win. Guy. Probably a good guy. I'm not call uh, like that wasn't okay. Can we, Rabs, can we do this quickly before we talk about Lions? Sure. So Jeff Blaschel gets fired. <laughs> He and didn't get Rabs, fired. His contract wasn't renewed. Fine. Even be- fine. Even better example for this. And Rabs goes, man, I feel bad for the guy. And I, w- I understand if, like, a, who's the one guy? Steve Wilkes with the Cardinals. Gets canned after a year. Gets a raw deal. And, like, sets back his career. I get feeling bad for that guy. Jeff Blaschel coached the Redwinds for seven years. Um, I feel like he was given a pretty long leash. I feel like there's no bad blood towards them. And, Ravs, to your point, it seems like everyone came off and, like, hey, this was a good guy. Even Iserman went out and gave him, like, glowing praise. I don't feel bad for guys like that. Like, you made a ton of money. You're going to find a job somewhere else. I don't have to be like, oh, I'm thinking about his kids. He was probably making, like, a, what, $2 million or seven straight years? How much money do you, is the Redwoods coach making? I don't know yeah, what uh, hockey probably, salaries probably, are. Probably th- three to four. Five mil, maybe. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm sorry, dude. I don't feel bad for you. Seven years in one of the coolest jobs you can have. Like, it's a pretty good run. That's a reasonable take, Collins. I'm just saying, seven years is a long time for any professional. Yeah, he was the second, season. second longest tenured coach in the NHL, was behind uh, John Cooper. Yeah. Who does he coach? Tampa. Tampa. Oh, Lancey guy. Ride the lightning. <laughs> he goes, of course. Yeah. Well, I will. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, Collins. I can talk about I'll that later. Comments for the end. Um, okay. Well, Trent, congratulations on obviously you haven't graduated yet, but exams are done. So go have a time. Go to the right? bars. Excited for you to go to the rib. Great place. Gracias. Rib's a great place. Um, all right. So as promised, we do we do have a considerable amount to cover today. Um, even though we are just doing the Lions draft recap, we are doing Red Wings season recap. Um, we'll get to that at the end of the show. As I said, Ryan Collins will be popping off here in the next half hour or so. So while we have him. Because usually how Red Wings goes is I'll just blabber on about wings until my laptop dies. So uh, we'll get into the Lions uh, draft recap again, kind of a week removed now. 
Trent and myself were in Ford Field in attendance for the draft party. And I think the coolest thing about that, I mean, Trent, obviously I, I want you to get in here as far as what you thought. I think we're on the same page. It was one of those things, Collins, where it was like, if we didn't go, I don't think we were missing much, but I'm glad we went. We had a nice little snack pack, little hot dog chip pop action, which was cool. Um, they had like the games on the field or whatever. You could do the 40 yard dash and the vertical jump and all that crap. And then, I mean, the real kicker was the fact that if you were, if you had like lower bowl season tickets or club season tickets, then you got the nice buffet. You were in the season, you were in the, uh, the, like the season ticket area up close to the stage, whatever, but it was a good time. I think the best part about that whole night though, I will say is obviously the, the, the lions make their picket too. And Trent and I were, Trent and I were sitting there and we said to each other, okay, after the top 10 gets picked, let's go. And sure enough, the Lions trade up into 12 and obviously take Jamison Williams and we were still there for it. So it was cool to have that little like buzz that you didn't know you were getting where everyone's like, oh, hey, whatever. Like, look at, look out, you know. So that was cool. But Trent, I don't know. What would you think? What do you think of draft night? Well, I was I was definitely impressed because I had no expectations. Obviously, this right. was this began as a Trent's trifecta question of like who wants to go with me to this thing, and if neither one of you guys wanted to go, I wasn't gonna go. So I had no expectations, didn't really care. But going, uh, dude, they did a good job. Like I yeah. honestly was impressed with what the Lions did. Like everything was free. Everything is free except for booze, of course. But parking's free. Here was uh, like thirty bucks. The food, <laughs> yeah. you gotta make it up somewhere. The parking's free, the food was free, the pop was free, and then of course 971 is there. They just did they did a pretty good job, and it was it was a better turnout than I thought. So from that standpoint, you gotta give credit where credit's due. Um, and as far as you know, I I, I agree with you, Rabs. I don't have much more to add as far as the buzz goes, because it was really cool when the Lions traded up to 12. Because we didn't know what was going on. Rabs and I were looking at each other thinking Malik Willis was maybe going to be the play. Yeah, Malik Willis or, or Kyle, Kyle Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. So so that was – it was just fun to kind of have that moment because I think everyone had time to process the Aiden Hutchinson thing a few days before when Trayvon Walker became the odds-on favorite. Vegas always knows something. They're always right about that kind yeah. of thing. So it's just – we just knew as Lions fans, we had time to process the Hutchinson thing, but the Jamison Williams at 12 thing was not – expected so when you get that in there that was the real excitement of draft day so it was it was a lot of fun i am also glad we went we missed collins per usual um it would have been a lot of fun but uh when they when they not did they like announce the trade over like the big like pa i actually don't remember it it was were they like the lions are on the clock and everyone like lost their shit the thing that was that was frustrating to me was they were doing interviews of the players like literally up until the first pick was announced and i was like i just want to see the fucking coverage of the draft i'm i'm done i don't need to hear what a lee mcneil has to say about that i don't so once they got the lions all off the stage they went to the broadcast i there was like trent got a text from one of his buddies that was like the lions are on the clock and trent's like what is he talking about because we didn't see or hear anything and then you just heard people cheering in the crowd. And yeah. then you saw, you see on the board that there was a the trade that in, in Goodell was the one, I guess, like via the broadcast that announced it, but it was cool. I was, it was some nice buzz. Um, but I guess for the sake of time here, we can jump right in. Um, we can look at, I guess we can attack this a couple ways um, with the lions, obviously picking second and taking Aiden Hutchinson. I think it's important to cover that. We can cover the trade, whether you liked it or hate it for them to move up and take Jamison Williams. Then I guess we can look at the rest of the draft as a whole. Um, so the lions take 
Aiden Hutchinson at two. Jesus, come on, spit it out. Um, it was very bizarre how in the days leading up to the draft, Trayvon Walker became like, this is the guy the Jags are taking. I don't know how it was leaked. And to be honest with you guys, I don't really know what the Jags see in him that they weren't comfortable taking an Aiden Hutchinson or a Kayvon Thibodeau over, over Trayvon Walker. So I'm not here to focus on that so much as I am to focus on who the Lions ended up taking. And I think that this kind of became best case scenario for the Lions, just based on the fact that you now essentially had your pick of whoever you wanted, because I don't think the Lions didn't sound like they were ever in contention for Trayvon Walker, even though it sounded like as the draft got closer, his draft stock was rising. So I believe I made a comment to someone at one point in time, like that's who the Lions are taking just because I felt like Aiden Hutchinson was still the consensus. Consensus might not be the right word in this draft, but he was supposed to go one. So now you essentially have your pick of really whoever you wanted and they go with Aiden Hutchinson. To me, I, I, when he falls into your lap like that, I have no complaints. I, I really don't. I think that it was a no brainer to a certain extent. It was a don't think just throw. He was number one on many, many teams draft boards, if not all of them, except for the Jacksonville Jaguars, obviously you needed to fill the need of the edge rusher. You get that Naden Hutchinson. He plays in the big 10 and you, and, and we got to watch him pretty much all year long, dominate some teams. Um, I think the only real thing that, the question marks came was in the Georgia game where he didn't maybe he didn't shine as much as you would like him to. But I think when the, when the, when Michigan's losing by 30 points, Georgia's not dropping back to pass all that much. And that's kind of where Aiden Hutchinson makes his money. So I, what I don't, I mean, that's the pick that was the pick. And I thought it was a fine pick and I'm excited to see what Aiden Hutchinson is going to do for this team. I think he can be a difference maker and we'll see. I mean, it's the, the balls in his court now, I guess we'll see. What's it called? I booed when they drafted him, but it was like, a. Out of it, wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't because I like, I don't want him on the lions. It was, it's just like, it, was it was, I told my mission buddies, I'm like, I'm going to boo him for 10 minutes. I'm probably not going to like him until I actually see him in a Lions uniform, which is fair. And and guess what? If he wouldn't have done that bogus trip to New York, maybe this would be different. But yes, hey, yes, that's yes. the only yep. reason I hold venom to him, which is not even his fault. But um, it was the, like the Lions ran in the pitch and whatever. I like it. I think it was it, it was kind of funny. You saw all the draft analysts and basically everyone. It's like I don't really understand why he didn't go one. Yep. And the funny thing about it, I, I was curious. If if he was taking one, do the Lions to Walker? Because it kind of seemed like that was going to happen too. Maybe was, I think I think if he was taking one, they still would have gone Thibodeau. But that that that's an interesting. I, I don't know, whatever. But um, yeah, it's a need. He's re- I mean, the Ohio State game. I I think that the Ohio State game he was awesome. Go watch the Penn State game this year. He was incredible that game too. Um. Mission State game, he got a bunch of shit for it. He was really good that game. He didn't have the tackles and the numbers. I'm pretty sure he had like three holding calls against him that day. So, like, he is a notable difference maker um, on the defensive end. It's just how high of a level can he get up to? Because I think injuries aside, he's going to be a solid guy. Like, it's a pretty safe pick. And I, I And like Trent said, it's not like – what they've been saying the whole process is just physicality wise. He's not a Bosa or he's not a Garrett. 
He's not one of these top tier elite guys, but motor wise, they're comparing him to him. So if he's able to get sort of close to that level, that's usual lines. They haven't had a great edge rusher since Ziggy that one year. And yeah. Ziggy was solid. He just was glass. He was hurt every year. So they haven't had a solid pass rusher. I'm interested to see how they use him in their defensive scheme because he was, I mean, he's an athletic guy, but I mean, I- I'm interested in what they do with him and Aaron Glenn. It sounds like Aaron Glenn really likes him. So, I mean, I have no complaints at too. I think that's a smart pick. And you got, if you want to like continue to build this franchise the right way, you don't do something crazy or take a chance on Thibodeau when a guy like Hutchinson, who's more of a surefire pick and is more of a culture fit for your team is there. You might as well take him. So I, I, I like the pick. Well, I'm curious to see just how they use them in the defense, because it kind of seemed like they wanted to go more three, four principles and, I, stuff like that, but I mean, he he's just a down, like, I like him as a down lineman, you know what I mean? Just, I no. like him, but I, I don't like that he might have to deal with coverages and stuff like that. I'm not saying he can't do it. I just would prefer them not to do that. Well, so Collins, you bring up an interesting thing, because I think ultimately there are guys on this roster, like Charles Harris or Romeo Aquara, who you'd maybe be more comfortable with doing that kind of thing. So it, it will be interesting to see how the Lions use Hutchinson, but as far as the pick goes, This is one of those rare situations, in my opinion, where it's like the Jaguars somehow, you know, mysteriously don't go with what everyone thinks should be the first pick. They pick Walker. And then it's like, like you said, Rabs, Hutchinson essentially falls into your lap. And it's like, how pissed would we be as Lions fans if they didn't pick him and he turns out great in five years, you know, coming off the edge for the Jets or who, who had the third pick? Who picked third? Texans the Texans if he's great for the Texans it's, and it's you know that'd be one of those situations where it's like what are we doing that's SOL no you made the easy pick he fell into your lap as Rab said if that's even a thing at two but it's just he's it's a position of need he instantly makes your team better he walks in he's a day one starter and he loves football culture fit and I know that gets thrown a lot a ton and it just gets thrown all about and whatever but Kayvon Thibodeau what's the one big red flag that he doesn't necessarily love football and people have all these concerns about him and what he's going to do after the game and blah, blah, blah. He's already talking about it. He reminds me of like a Kyrie Irving of the NFL. So when you got two guys like Kayvon Thibodeau and then Aiden Hutchinson, who are of similar value or similar talent as of now, take the guy who has, who loves football, who also is the hometown kid. And I don't think that matters a ton, but it matters a little. So I, that's all I'm saying. I, I love the pick too. Uh, obviously, you know, the, 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 the Sparty and all of us is like, yeah, whatever. But Hey, when he puts on that, that, uh, that lion's uni, it's, you, you throw all that out the window. If he can get to the quarterback, which the lions haven't been able to do in nearly a decade, I'm happy. Yeah, I agree. Trent. I don't, I mean, I don't give a shit about like once I see him in the lion's Jersey, like if you can help a team win, I don't care where you play. I don't care if you played for the Monstars. I don't, whatever. Yes, um, like this is a franchise that has never won a they have won yeah, a dude, playoff right. game. I'll take what I can get. I have no yeah. reason to be picky. I will say the one thing that I just thought was comical, and and maybe I don't know how much you guys heard about this stuff too, like in the media, but of like between like the Woodward sports guys and the people that would call in a 97-1 and bitch about the pick, like it was a bad pick they should have taken. Like it's just it's amazing to me how there's so many people out there in the world in like the sports media, especially 
they just whatever angle they can find. This was the easiest, no brainer. Yes, yes, fell on no. your lap, take it and move on. And if he sucks in ten years, he sucked. If he's great in ten years, he's great. It was the easiest. Just all you had to say was, "Yeah, good pick." He's a hometown kid. Excited to see him play. But these people that like get on their soapbox about how it was a bad pick and they should have taken Thibodeau or they should have taken whatever or how'd you not? You don't always have to try to be the smartest guy in the room and find also, your angle. But like, what? Like, what are we doing? What is the other wrong thing, with Rabs, everyone? If if I can quick add in here, I think a lot of those guys are the Spartan like blinded people. It's like, and we are what we're Sparties, you know. If that's the and, case, that's embarrassing. If they're no, that's, the that's what I'm that saying. That, that, that's what that's what I'm getting to. As of tomorrow at about 7:30 p.m., we all three will be Spartan alumni, and we come on here and we do our thing every week. I understand. What I'm saying is we cannot view things through that lens. Like you said, Rabs, if Aiden Hutchinson's going to help the Lions win, that's it. It's pretty black and white. So you don't need to spin it a certain way. We can talk all day. Like Colin said, we can talk all day about whether Aiden Hutchinson deserved to be in New York, whether, you know, he was overhyped, blah, 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 blah. The point is the guy was the consensus, as you said, number one guy for months and months and months and months of this pre-draft process. It's way too long, by the way. And then he falls into your lap at two. So you take him. It is the right pick. And I don't care what kind of narrative people want to push for a guy like Thibodeau. I, I'm just, I am agreeing with you. I'm just elaborating on the fact that I think a lot of the, a lot of people bring in biases that don't need to be there. Like people who went to Michigan state or who are Michigan state fans and they're, they're trying to spin this into SOL and it's not. Yeah. I, I just, I, I just didn't really understand that these people that they try to be the smartest people in the room. Like don't like you, it's fine for you just to be on the bandwagon with the 99% of fans that were like, yeah, it's just, if the pick made sense, like what else were you going to do? Right. Like, you don't have to try to find the angle of you being the smartest guy in the room, but whatever. So Aiden Hutchinson comes over. And then I, obviously the storyline of this whole draft was the lions trading up to get Jamison Williams. Um, Trent, as you said, initially when the, when the trade was announced, you and I both thought it was either a play for Malik Willis or a play for um, Kyle, Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton. Uh, obviously wasn't the case. And after seeing the pick come through, I mean, I think this was polarizing in a sense because initially when the everything that I was reading or people texting me or whatever was like they gave up too much for him. And I'm thinking, like, what what could they have possibly given up? And you obviously sacrificed your 32nd overall pick and the 34th overall pick. And I was it is the, the third rounder was this year, too. Correct. But you got a third rounder back yeah. to move back. Yep, you swapped so, third round picks this year. I yeah, think. so so that's your package to move up into twelve and and take Jamison Williams. So, you know, to to me, Jamison Williams is a guy that before the injury, which was I remember watching it live, was just brutal. Like in the timing of everything for him to go down, Jamison Williams was going to be the number one receiver in this draft and legitimately could have been a top five pick. So, for the Lions, for the first time ever in my lifetime to be aggressive and go up and get a guy like that. And, 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 and I get he's injured and there's the, you know, there's the camp of, he's not going to come back till week six. He's going to be ready for training camp. I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea what the timetable is. I will tell you that 
in our lifetime, the ACL injury, which once used to be looked at as a devastating career ending injury is an injury that's very manageable now. And a lot of people even come back quote unquote stronger from having had the surgery to repair the, the torn ACL. So in my eyes, without just, you know, spending too much time on it, I think that that is a move by Brad Holmes to go out and get a guy they wanted on this team that is an absolute playmaker. I think in this league and in any sport, really, speed kills. That's what you're getting out of Jamison Williams. He's a playmaker. He's a difference maker. When he's fully healthy, I don't want to hear about the, oh, Jared Goff can't get him the ball. Trust me, I'm as I'm as low on Jared Goff as one could possibly be. But if you can get the ball in his hands, which Jared Goff should be able to as a professional quarterback, that guy completely changes the pace and the versatility of your offense. And when we're talking about this guy five, 10 years from now, I, I, I just have a feeling and everything that you've seen from this guy on, on tape and on paper, I think it's going to be a really good situation for the Lions once they get whoever they, they bring in at quarterback next year or the following years that guy can play ball and versus sitting there at 32 and 34. And yeah, maybe if you stay put, you get two impact players, but you're not getting the impact player that you are by moving up to 12. So you're sacrificing a pick that you really weren't even supposed to have. It's, you know, not, not every team in the world gets two first round draft picks. So what you sacrifice a glorified second round pick to move up, to get Jamison Williams. I'll take it every single day of the week. Thank you very much. I like the move. Collins will go to you because you got to get going soon. What's it called? I mean, he is the whole like narrative of like why he fell. Like it's a draft and wide receiver is a position of premium. Now you saw everyone get paid. Why are people being so short-sighted? I didn't really understand that. And I like the move. Like, obviously if you watch Jamison Williams, he was uncoverable by Georgia. Both times they played best talent in the country. And he just can't be like, he was better than their best. So when like a talent aspect and like you see it, like you see a special team tape, he just kind of like, he has that, like, I don't know. He has a little fuck you attitude to him. So, I, I mean, I love the move and they need a wide receiver. They really do. I know Ahmad St. Brown had a really nice year, but he's a different type of guy. He's more in between the middle of the field and, and, yeah. and working. In the not a number one. Area. He's not a number one. No, I'm saying that he's just a short yardage guy. He could possibly be a number one, but you need a guy who can take the top off, be a little bit more versatile, um, go win those 50-50 balls, and, and Williams can do that. And I think it was uh, – I, I my main takeaway, though, it, I really think from a standpoint is that they really are like, okay, this year I think we're going to – they're going to punt again this year, which I think is fine. I, I, I'm not saying they're not going to try and win – I'm not going to say they're going to be the number two pick again. But anyone who has expectations, there's even some weird expectation things that I've been seeing to say, hey, can the Lions like sneak into the wild card? I don't know if you want that or like that's like, if you're a Lions fan, you don't want that this year. And I think that pick by Jameson Williams is like, we're setting the thing for next year because we're going to let Jared Goff play this year and then we're going to figure out quarterback. And, and, and see, and I know it's impossible to win like a title with a rookie quarterback, or if they go out in free agency and do something, or they trade for someone. But it just kind of seems like, hey, we're gonna like build this roster up, we're gonna get as much talent. They've accumulated a lot of talent, but I think to Jameson Williamson, it's like, hey guys, we're not rushing this. 
This yeah. is a long process. We're doing it the correct way. And we're willing to give up some stuff to get a guy who can possibly be an elite player. I like I like Chris Olave a lot. I would have been fine if they like moved up and got him at like 17 or something. You know what I mean? If he dropped, like whatever. He's not Jamison Williams. He's not. He does not have the ceiling of Jamison Williams. Chris Olave, great, great route runner, has great hands. Jamison Williams is just a difference maker in that aspect. And if you look at first round wide receivers last like five years, they mostly hit. Yeah. So it, it's honestly a safe and a safe investment, even though with the ACL, which in the last five years, ACL injuries, I'm not going to say they're nothing, but they're not the same as they used to be. It's not like a career ending type of thing. It's not like he tore his Achilles. So, um, and he's not that big of a guy. So it's something he could definitely rehab off of. Um, last thing I want to say was the one thing that like very like much intrigues me is that they didn't, I'm not like right before, cause I gotta go soon. I was interested that they didn't take any quarterback in this draft. I'm not saying you had to find your Mr. Right or whatever, but like Jared Goff and Tim Doyle are your two quarterbacks. Like I, I didn't understand, like they had a couple pits there where they could have put towel or they could have put zappy or they put it. I just, I, I, not saying for a long-term option for just to like make your quarterback room better. I was just curious why they didn't do that. Cause I, I like golf has been pretty injury prone. I would like to have someone who's sort of confident behind him, or like it's, maybe you strike gold on someone. I you know what I mean. I'm not trying to yeah. say you go for your future guy or something. It was just interesting to me that they like when Sam Howell dropped and like a couple of these other guys dropped that they were like, no, what? We'll take a flyer on him. This isn't our like Mr. Everything or whatever, but our quarterback room sucks. Let's just get a little bit better. I don't know. Well, by the way, I can't stand the media circus around constantly buffing up the quarterback. Like it's like, oh, we have to talk about the fact that Malik Willis is this good of a talent because he might go top five. These quote unquote experts don't know shit because that guy goes in the middle of the third round. It's like, what are we doing? Poor guy. So so anyways, that's that's one thing. But yeah, Collins, I agree with you. I was a little shocked they didn't take a quarterback. I was pleasantly shocked because I didn't think it was the time to panic. And, and and panic isn't the word, but I just don't – I think there was value in maybe picking that, you know, Rodriguez, the linebacker out of uh, OSU. Or the, like th- that's the kind of thing you sacrifice. If you pick a quarterback, you don't get that one extra player that might end up being an impact guy for you. My last thing on Williams before we officially move on from that is – I just think the aggressiveness means more than anything. And Rabs, you mentioned it, so I won't really, really uh, elaborate on it, but it just means something. Like when was the last time the Lions were really aggressive and went up and got their guy in our lifetime? I can't think of one. You know, Bob Quinn sure as hell wouldn't have done any of that kind of stuff. So you have to tip your cap there. And also, as far as you – and you mentioned this too, Rabs, picking at 32 and 34, you can maybe get impact guys, but the pick there was probably going to be like a safety – and I'm really high on Kirby Joseph, who they got in the fourth round. So we can talk about that later. Uh, but Would you guys have been mad if they moved up for Hamilton? Because I would have been fine with that. I, I really been, like no, I, that I, too. I thought they were doing that. I would have been fine with that, too. And I guess in hindsight, apparently, you know, Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes said the biggest surprise of the draft for them was that Kirby Joseph was still available when they picked at, uh, I don't know what it was, what 
what pick overall it was. But I'm not going to trust think... any Illinois football player, Trent. I'll okay. just tell you that. Uh, you know what? That's yeah, that was my Collins. first thought too. Kyle I was like, oh, he went to Illinois. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm not, not a great track record there, other than Dick Buckets. I but. am absolutely driving the bandwagon for that guy. I think he is going to be very, very, very good. And I think he's in, st- I, I think he should start week one. We get, we can get to I him. Mean, anything not to see Will Harris, I'm for Trent. That's true. And they, they signed Elliot and drafting Joseph. Now it's like, yeah, it's kind of signed, sealed, delivered for Will Harris. I think he's done, but whatever. Okay. What's it called boys? I gotta leave, but I want to give my two cents about the wings. Okay. Do it too quickly. It. Jeff Blaschel. Nice guy. I, I feel like we should have just hired Gerard a lot last year. Just, just throwing that out there. You can talk about it later. I feel like we should have just done that last year. But okay. hey, I move on. Have okay. fun, boys. Yeah, have Thank fun you whenever you're doing Collins. We we'll love you next week. We'll see you next week. Um, yeah, I mean, on the heels of that, to Trent, I think we were talking about when we walked into the stadium for the draft party, was like, I can't fucking believe that Tim Boyle and David Blau are the backups on this team. Like, that's one of those things to me where I, I know with, with 99, if not – 99%, if not 100% of the teams in the league, if your starting quarterback goes down, your season's over. Like, if you lose your starter, you're out. But with that being said, I mean, Tim Boyle and David Blau, neither of those guys make you competitive at all. Like, when it's – I, so whatever. But I don't think it was that big of a deal they didn't take a quarterback. I will say, Trent, there was a, a lot of – and I, I don't know why I go down this rabbit hole of, of what other people have to say because everyone has an opinion. And I know my opinion matters just as – little as everyone else's but like the people that that were criticizing the pick for the sake of that they went up to get a wide receiver and the argument being like well Devontae Adams was drafted in the second round and look at all like dude what what does that have anything to do like there are there are wide receivers that are taken in the first round every, every year. year. You're gonna you're yeah. gonna tell me that when when you walk into it when you walk into a buffet Trent if you see a fresh slice of pizza there you're not going to take it. This is terrible. I don't even know where I was going with that trend. Throw that away. The point being is <laughs> the point being Jamison Williams is better than who's the guy from North Dakota state that got taken in the second round early. Dude, the, I don't know. There, I, there, were a, but, there were a ton of receivers in this draft. Yeah. So, but it's like, really? Like, so you're going to settle for a guy that's not as good as the guy you took because oh, yeah. you can, you can still get good wide receivers in the second round. That's where I was going. Holy shit. I was tough on my. No, brother. no, 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 Rabs, you're fine. Let me let me give you a breather here. The thing is, Collins wow. and you hit the nail on the head when you talk about this guy was going to be a potential top five pick and definitely, without a fucking doubt, the first wide receiver taken. Yes. Had he not been injured. Now you couple that with the fact that ACL injuries are not half what they used to be in terms of recovery time and just the the, the vigorousness. That's not a word on the body. So he'll be totally fine. He's going to come back. You are going to figure out quarterback next year, even though Jared Goff gets that like half-ass eh, chance this year. Who knows? Whatever. He's still 27 years old. High on Jared Goff. Um, but I'm just – there's – it was a good pick. That's the bottom line. You have to go to bed knowing that you got the best receiver in the draft. And, hey, he thinks he's going to be ready for open, or opening day. He thinks he's <laughs> going to be ready for camp. And yeah. I love I love the confidence and the ambition. I don't think that'll be the case. But hey, if he's back by week three or four, let's roll, man. Rabs, you and I were looking at the schedule in Ford Field. Uh, schedule's not out. We're, we're looking at the opponents, and it's very favorable, especially when you look at who's home and who's away. So 
there's winnable games, and Jamison Williams is that kind of player that's going to help you win instantly when he walks in the door. So as soon as he's 100% ready to roll. Yep, I agree. So let's let's take a look, I guess, at the at the rest of the draft for the Lions. And you know, not that it not that it matters all that much, but a lot of these companies and and analysts and experts that put out these draft grades at the end of the draft, everyone was seemed to be really really high on the Lions. And I feel like I've seen years where the Lions get the C plus, the C minus, the C, whatever. The lowest I saw anyone grade out this Lions draft was a B plus. Yep. But you saw a lot of like A's, A's pluses, whatever. Looking at a holistic view, I think I love the fact that the Lions went pretty much all defense for the rest of the draft, besides getting the tight end James Mitchell out of Virginia Tech in the fifth round. I love that they committed to just stockpiling on defense. And really, and this could be very far off, but I was reading something along the lines of that every single player the Lions picked in this draft were drafted, were supposed to be drafted earlier, if that makes sense. Like a guy that you get at 189 was projected to go at like 108, like that kind of deal. So they so they got a lot of like steals, I guess, from from the eyes of of people that are, you know, watch college football and 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 grade these kind of things out. So I think that's kind of promising from the fact that they were able to identify talent that was supposed to go earlier. Now you might be able to look at that and go, well, there's a reason why these guys were dropping, but I, I, I tend to err on the side of like, Hey, these guys did their homework and are maybe seeing things that other guys aren't. So I, I don't have a ton as far as I'm not going to pretend to know who chase Lucas is out of Arizona state, your, your cornerback you take in round seven or James Houston out of Jackson state, who I guess would dominate it. And, you know, one of those HBCU schools that Dion coaches at after transferring from Florida, um, I, I will say the picks that I that I did like after coming around was Josh Pascal in round two. And the reason I say that is because I at least appreciate the fact that the Lions have identified you you win in the trenches. And that's not some unbelievable take of football knowledge. It's just how the game is. You win in the trenches and Josh Pascal, who when when reading a little bit more about him, was someone considered him the quote unquote most Dan Campbell-esque player in the draft. And as a three-year captain at the University of Kentucky, playing against good competition. The only the three-year captain in Kentucky history. Yeah, like, and, and that kind of stuff matters to me. Culture, character, that kind of stuff matters, and that's what they're, what they're building towards here. Um, but as a guy that can play more on in the interior line, but he also has that athleticism to play on the outside, and to give you a little bit more speed and versatility on the inside to stuff the run, um, but like I said, I, you, you watch highlights of him. He can get to the passer, no problem. So I know N'Kobe Dean was there at 46 and that's, yeah, he was also people, there and he was also there at what 120 when he got picked. Yeah. So, you know, to, to me, if, if that's the reason why people maybe didn't like the Pascal pick of, of any reason, I would say to you this, that I think N'Kobe Dean has clearly some issues People think that he has a torn pack that needs to be repaired. He's had a ton of injury history at Georgia. Size-wise, he doesn't really fit the mold of the position that he plays at the NFL level. So I, I like it. I, I don't, again, I'm not going to be disingenuous here and tell you that I can break down every single player that the Lions took in this draft. But from what you read and the tape that you see on these guys, this, what was his name? Hernandez, Rodriguez, what was, what's the linebacker's name they took? 
Malcolm Rodriguez out of Malcolm Rodriguez. Like you watch his tape and read his scouting report. That's a guy that puts his head down and doesn't care if he snaps his neck. He's a hard hitter. And, you know, that's kind of what like the Kobe Dean's whole deal was. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a nice play to add just a piece to your linebacking room. I don't know how much he's going to get to play in the first couple of years here, but you better play, man. You better play if the alternative is Alex Anzalone. Right. But they, Hey, they, they committed to, to stockpiling on defense. And for the people that know way more about these players and this draft than I do, it sounds like they did a really good job. And I'm happy that they committed to the defense because it really was that bad. I think that you got some legitimate playmakers with your first two picks. I'd even say with your first three picks, you seem to like this, this cat from, uh, from Illinois that I don't, yes, again, don't I love know much it. about the safety, but it's, I, I don't have any complaints. And this is, this is what Brad Campbell was brought over to do. He he's, you know, his, his bread and butter is building through the draft and being able to identify talent. He's got a pretty nice track record of making some great picks with the LA Rams. So you, you just kind of have to trust the process here. And I think that they got better in this draft and got guys that you're excited to watch. I'm excited to watch Josh Pascal. I'm obviously excited to watch Aiden Hutchinson and really excited to watch Jamison Williams. So let's go roll the balls out. I don't have much else, Trent, but I no, mean, I guess that's your right. thoughts on the on the back half of the draft, and we can go from there. No, I'll be quick here, so then you can get to your wing stuff. But you you pretty much laid it out perfect, Rabs. I the the first and second picks are always going to get the big sexy looks, right? And, and that's kind of what Hutchinson and and uh, Jameson was, and that's kind of what everyone's talking about. I completely agree on Pascal. There's some I wish I had it in front of me, but there's some metric where they grade out the most athletic players in the draft. There's like an athletic score or something like that. Aiden Hutchinson was number one and tied for second was Trayvon Walker and Pascal. So you, in theory, what, whatever metric ass backwards thing they've got going on here for this. And it's a real thing. I think it was pro football focus tweeted it or whatever, but you in theory got two of the most three athletic players in the entire draft. So I'll take that all day of the week. And like you said, Rabs, I think the plan of attack in this draft was obvious from day one. It was, you have to fix the defense. You need maybe one or two weapons on offense. That's all you need. Because when you look at what you have offensively, you already have Swift. You already have Williams. You've got a top five O line in the whole league. You've got a guy in TJ Hawkinson who's a top five tight end when he's not getting doubled every play. You've got a guy in Amon Ross St. Brown who came on strong. You signed DJ Chark. So there's names, right? So you say, okay, maybe add one or two weapons to that, which is what the Lions did. They added two weapons there. And then all defense. And most of these defensive players are in the front seven. And I love that. So um, I'll drive on, on just this one guy here, Kirby Joseph. This guy was – okay, so he played wide receiver at Illinois. Completely changed his position to safety because he's just more of a ball hawk. He's more of a hard hitter, plays the game. Has good hands, which is nice because he's a safety. He's a D-back. You know, you put him back there with Tracy Walker. I already love the idea. And I also love the idea, as Colin said, of never having, you know, Will Harris on the field ever again in, in Ford Field. So that's that. But basically, this guy is another culture fit to the point where he just loves the game. He's very charismatic. I watched his post-selection uh, draft, uh, what's it called, press conference. I watched that. He's very charismatic. He had a party going on upstairs uh, after, after he was chosen. And he just seems like a guy who's all in. He's a ball hawk. I, there was some crazy stat about he was the only guy in the entire draft or in, in all of college football this year with 
five plus interceptions and three plus force fumble recoveries or something like that. Uh, so he's just always around the ball. He's got a knack for that. And the reason he slid raps is because he had quote unquote bad measurables. And for a franchise that preaches, you know, Dan Campbell, we're going to bite a kneecap off. We're going to be the toughest team. We're going to play the man's game. Measurables don't mean shit if we're being honest. Cause Aiden Hutchinson also has like a short wingspan or something like that. So you just, it doesn't matter. You got Kirby Joseph. And like I said, Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell were just very, very surprised he was still available at that spot. So I'm going to trust those guys. They've given me no reason not to thus far. Love that pick, and I obviously love that you went defense the rest of the way. You took a flyer on what? – what's the corner again, Rabs, Arizona State? What's his name? I, I couldn't even tell you, Trent. I had it pulled up, and I have no idea what it is. Oh, no, that's name. okay. I, you just take a flyer there because it's like – Oh, you, wait. Hang on. I have it. I have it. Time out. Chase Lucas out of Arizona State. Chase Lucas. You take a flyer on him because why not? Uh, that's a position where you're going to need depth and a position that has combustibility potential for the Ooh. Lions as, as you know, Jeff Okuda were kind of sink or swim here in year three of him. Uh, and he still only played, I think, 11 career games. So whatever. But yes, Rabs, I totally agree. It has to be an A from me. I'm not going to go A plus because I'm going to pick the Lions to win every game next year. So I've got to meet some people in the middle. Of course. I'm, also, I'm not going to go lower than an A because they showed the conviction to go up and get Williams. They made the obvious right safe pick in Hutchinson. And I like the other guys they got in the mid tier. So excellent job, Brad Holmes. This is supposed to be, as you said, Rabs, his bread and butter. And I think he excelled. It, it, it is very exciting. Uh, and, and encouraging. I think encouraging is a better word to see the hall the Lions got. That's all. All right. Well said. Um, I guess we can wrap up Lions. Um, I think OTAs and whatnot get underway sometime in the summer, right? I don't know when things get rolling here, but this is kind of the little break we have, I guess, post-draft. And, and you know, you wait until the, the football becomes time for the fall and football season rolls around. So, um that's it for the draft talk um I guess now all we really have to do is is Red Wings and I don't I don't remember the last time that we talked about the Red Wings as far as where we were in the season um but I know it has been some time and NHL playoffs have started they've been tremendous so far I it is my favorite thing in the world as far as sports and I know Rams, that I what's said your that favorite a couple series ago. what's your favorite series my favorite series, I would say, I would say from the standpoint of like skill, just of just watching like really skilled hockey teams on display, the Tampa Bay and Toronto series, I think is going to go all the way to seven games. I'm going to give, I'm going to give Tampa Bay the edge here just because I think that they're built better for a playoff run. I think they're a lot deeper. All four lines can play. They're tougher than Toronto is, but that's a great series just from the standpoint of, of just skill. I would tell you the other two series that I'm really excited to watch and that I've been excited to, or I've been watching that have been great. This Boston Carolina series has gotten extremely chippy. Carolina's up two games to nothing on Boston right now, but just really chippy. Some, some, I guess, cool storylines. Carolina's top two goaltenders are both out right now. So they're on their third goalie who picked them up a win the other night. Um, The Minnesota and St. Louis series. I think that game's that's going to go seven games as well. Um, I would say as far as like, like a complete rough and tough, like just has everything you want in a playoff series. I think that that series is, is has been good so far and is, is going to be great. So, Hey, Rabs, uh, I will say this. Yes. The reason I ask is because this is, you know, I'm a big NBA guy. This yeah. is the first year of my life 
following sports where I have enjoyed NHL the, the Stanley Cup playoffs more than I have enjoyed the NBA playoffs. I there and and a lot of that has to do to with there, there's no LeBron. I'm a big LeBron guy, so that that's a part of it. But I I just I can't disagree anymore with the competitive aspect. It's just like the hockey. The it's just it seems way more high stakes. It's way more fast paced, and it just I just feel like there's more on the line in, in like a random, you know, game two of a series than there is in say the NBA. Cause guys are just, what I don't know. I just, I I've enjoyed it. So I, I, I was interested to hear your perspective on that, but I guess now we can, we can do what the people want to hear. Oh yeah. No, I love it. Trent. It's I'm, I'm glad that you're enjoying. I'm telling you, like I say it every single year, the best thing about the NHL playoffs, every single game feels like game seven and yes. game seven feels like game seven on steroids. Like every, there's a scrum after every whistle, you get the fights, the hits. It's, it's been yeah, great the intensity, so far. and you you've always preached that, but I've never like actually paid attention to it until this year, and I love it. It's awesome. It's so great, but yeah, we can get uh we can get rolling here into uh into the Red Wings. Um, as I said, I'm not sure when the last time we talked about this was, but a season recap is well overdue. Very obviously, we have the recent news that Jeff Blashill's contract will not be renewed by the team, uh, so we'll get into that as well. There are, I'm going to apologize in advance because there are so many different ways that I want to take this thing. And Trent, I know that you're usually not, you know, always hot on the mic when it comes to Red Wing stuff, which is fine. But if at any point you want to jump in, ask questions, whatever, because I don't want to just sit here and no, talk I, for the next 45 minutes. So we'll I've got a couple questions for you at the end. Right. All right. So the, let's look at the Red Wing season as a whole. I, I'll do the Jeff Blashill stuff at the end. So 32, do you, do you know what the, sorry, sorry. Give the record. No, go ahead. Do you, do you remember what the over-under was before the season for wins? The Well, the over-under, so how they do it in the NHL is points. That's and right. The okay. over-under was yeah. 77 and a half. Your boy had 77 and a half. The over, they finished with 74. So wow, 32, 40, and 10, and 10 record, for, good for 74 points. Um, I guess other things to mention, goal differential minus 82, which was once again at the bottom of the league as it has been for – uh, for a, a while now, um, 18, 16 and seven at home, 14, 24 and three on the road. They finished sixth in the Atlantic division ahead of the Ottawa senators and Montreal Canadiens. Um, so let's, let's maybe look at this from starting back at the beginning of the season. And this is a team, as far as expectations are concerned, I think there were a lot of eyes on the Red Wings this year because you really weren't quite sure of what you were going to get with this roster. Everyone was excited to see Mo Sider. Everyone was excited to see Lucas Raymond. And I think a lot of people were excited to see Alex Nadelkovich and deservedly so. So when the season rolls out and you're, you know, you're not really sure what you're going to get here, if I can remember back and without really like looking at the, how the couple games went to start the year, but I thought the Red Wings were really impressive. I remember that first game at little Caesars arena. Um, they were dominating the Tampa Bay lightning. They ended up losing that one in overtime. They blew that game. That was but such they, a good game though. I mean, it was yeah, like the, and the wings scored five yes. goals or something. Yeah. And, and I, they lost seven to six, I believe. Um, but the constant trend for this team at the beginning of the season, Trent was like, they were, they were so hard to play against. They were playing with great pace. They looked good. They looked energized. They looked motivated and I'll get into the rookies later, but it's like you, you, you were starting to see so early on you saw from Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond that these kids could play and not just play, but have a true impact on this team 
which was so exciting. And the best part about the wings is someone who was in the building for pretty much every single home game this year, they were really good at home and they were really hard to play against at home for the, at least they ended up, you know, being about 500 as I just read to you, but they were tough to play against at little Caesars arena. And there were games where the building was packed and it was loud and the wings were playing well and they looked really, really good. And they were at the top half of that division for a long time. And a lot of things happened throughout the season. You know, you had your injuries, you were dealing with Tyler Bertuzzi who wasn't able to play in Canada, obviously because of the COVID protocols. Um, you end up losing Dylan Larkin later in the year, which I'll, which I'll get to. Um, but you, you kind of had guys in and out of the lineup at certain times. And, and all the while, you're, you're still really trying to figure out a lot of roles for the guys on this team. The Michael Rasmussen's of the world, who I thought looked tremendous towards the end of the season. Philip Zadina, who people are losing patience for, um, you know, and, and kind of seeing like, OK, what do you what do you have from Adam Ernie? What does Pew Suter have to offer? What kind of player is Robbie Fabry going to be this year? And so I think you had some questions that might not have been totally answered, but you're starting to see things more clearly now. And that's important when you think about the landscape of this team going forward, as far as the off season moves that have to be made. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it, it's no secret that at a certain point during the season, water find, found its level. And there was a period of time where you were looking at the Red Wings, like, is this a team that can compete for a wild card spot? And I would say pretty much right smack dab in the middle of the year was where you kind of saw what the Red Wings were going to be. They didn't really have enough to compete with those better teams. They were still going to give them games like they were still competing hard in games, but they weren't quite good enough to beat those better teams. And they play in the toughest division in, in hockey, um, but they were still going to make things exciting and get you some wins and whatnot. And then the flip side of that coin was, as the season progressed, and, and now as we kind of make up ground for what we didn't talk about as far as the wings in the last few weeks of the season, last month of the season, there were some games where the Red Wings looked absolutely horrifying. I mean, you know, you think about letting up, I think, what was it, 11 goals to Pittsburgh, getting scored on 11 times, 10 times, 9, 8, 7. It seemed like they found every way possible to lose games by a million goals it was so hard to find games where the wings were starting on time, where it just looked like they weren't ever ready to play to start the game. And every game they're down two nothing, one nothing going into the second period, getting out shot a ton. And, and it really was like same old Red Wings of the last handful of years of just being absolutely abysmal. Um, and, and that got really, really frustrating. And I don't care what your roster is comprised of, because this roster is not the worst roster in the league by any means. I don't care what your expectations are. There is no excuse to, to have been beaten the way the Red Wings were beaten at several points throughout this season. And that's why Wings fans, I think, were so pissed. And then, of course, you know, towards the end of the year, you get the fire Blashill chance throughout the arena. Again, I'll get to it later. Um, but I think that was when you see games like that and as you got into the latter half of the season, it just seemed like any juice the Red Wings had was just completely gone. And I said it all year at the beginning of the year, like this team's got something. They're exciting to watch tune in. They're going to be good. And of course, you know, they, they ended up kind of letting me down in that regard. And you have to, to look at the totality of, of some of the things that I said already of you lose Dylan Larkin for the last couple of weeks 
Tyler Bertuzzi can't play in Canada. Robbie Fabry rips his ACL up. Um, goaltending got really bad at a certain stretch, and, and, and Nedeljkovic kind of found his way again. But, you know, there were so many things that contributed to, to this team's failures towards the end of the season. In, in reality, too, like, is it the worst thing in the world that the Wings played really bad down the stretch as far as draft position? Probably not. I believe they have the eighth best odds right now, or if, if, if the draft was like the NFL, they'd be picking eighth. So what we can get into that more as the summer continues on and we get well, Rabs, that phase. Real quick, if I can, I think what you're looking at with the Wings right now is kind of what like the Pistons did last year, which was – you know, they end up losing more games than they're worth, but you see a ton of, you know, presence from your young guns and that kind of thing and promise. Sure. So yeah. so now, you know, and I'm sure you'll get into all this, what they got to do this offseason, but it's like next year, and, and including adding a new coach and getting a new message in there. You know what I mean? So I, I I ultimately agree with you, but it's just like it's it is encouraging to see what you saw from the young guys, of course, and then you get to move into next year. It isn't the worst thing in the world that you miss the playoffs because you get a full off season to really exhale and, and get this thing right. Yeah, and 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 well well said. And I think that you know now you're looking at a, a top ten draft pick that's only going to make your team better. And this team still really does have a lot of holes to fill. And I'll you know I'll be the first one to tell you, hand up. I said this team is going to make the playoffs next year. I. They seem a really far way away from that, but you never know. I mean, they're they're kind of right on that fringe of, you know, who knows what the new coach brings and some new talent. But, yeah, I mean, again, just trying to recap the season as a whole, um, and, and this will allude to what I'm going to get into with Jeff Blashill later. But, you know, once again, just bottom of the league and goal differential, the power play was not good. The penalty kill was not good. And in this team – while certain guys got better and I'll, I'll my next portion here of this whole Red Wings recap is to kind of talk about the roster and, and, and what I liked and what I didn't like, but this is where I just, you know, fans were sick, were sick of it and the team didn't really improve much at all. When you look at this whole season and, and there were some tremendous bright spots on this team. Again, I'll get into the roster in a second. Um, but all in all, a disappointing season for the wings because it's not about how you start. It's how you finish. And they finished poorly. I mean, I think they won their last game of the year against uh, New Jersey. It might've been, um, but I, I'm, I'm talking in the totality of the last couple of weeks, month of the season was, did not match up at all to what you saw this team do for the first month or so of the season. So obviously disappointing. You missed the playoffs. I don't think that the red wings, when you look at the landscape of the National Hockey League, they're they're not they're no longer like this laughing stock of like oh my god they're bad. Now they were a laughing stock a couple times when you have those massacres when you're on the wrong side of of just like how do you as professional hockey players how do you even let this happen? Um, but all in all, I think people around the league have taken notice that okay you know Dylan Larkin had a really good year, Tyler Bertuzzi had a really good year, Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond both made a case to win the Calder this year. And, and I think most cider will and should win the Calder. So I guess, you know, that's, that's positive from that standpoint that there's a lot of, not a lot, but you know, a handful to a handful and a half of teams that looked a lot worse than you did this year. Um, so with that being said, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll kind of move into the roster here um, just as far as what you were working with this year and, and who looked good, who didn't. 
And, and, and I'll start, I'm going to start off a little hot trend. So excuse me for getting a bit worked up here. I, I want to address the situation with, with Dylan Larkin, because Dylan Larkin is someone who has been getting a lot of bullshit from the media and fans and, and everyone under the sun for really, I don't want to say his whole career here in Detroit, but especially in the last couple of years, when this team has been bad and it's, it's no secret that, that, that everyone's looking at Dylan Larkin, especially as your captain now is maybe seeing a little bit more. I just want to read you a couple things here from his stats. He played in 71 games this year. Obviously he, he goes down and gets the core muscle surgery, which sounds like it was very successful, which is great. And, and I will say too, I, I feel like the last couple of years, Dylan Larkin has, has missed time towards the end of the year with injuries or, you know, he, he's been hurt like several times throughout the last couple of years, which is somewhat concerning, but it's a, you know, it's a tough sport to play. So, you know, no, I, it's, it's no wonder that he's, that he's banged up, but in 71 games that he played this year, he led your team in goals with 31. He was second on your team in assists with 38 and he was a team leading had a team leading 69 points in 71 games, minus 18 rating on a, on a team that obviously gets scored on a ton. So so he's a point of game guy. With, with, he's a point of game guy. Yes. And so people look at Dylan Larkin and are so critical of him and in like of all oh, he needs to be and Ryan Collins was a guy too. And I hope he listens back to this to hear my speech here. But people look at Dylan Larkin like he's not good enough to be a first line center. He doesn't produce enough. He's not a good leader. He's not a good captain. And there's a couple things that I want to address in all of that because I think it's literally all bullshit. I think it's complete fugazi, fugazi, horseshit, disingenuous, ignorant shit that people say about Dylan Larkin. First things first that needs to get out of the way with this about Dylan Larkin as a captain. Trent, I, I'm, I'm sure that you remember in your in your brain of, of captains that we've been alive to witness in NHL history for the Detroit Red Wings. I'm going to give you the names of people who have donned the C for the Red Wings. Steve Eiserman, Henrik Zetterberg, Nicholas Lidstrom are the three guys that preceded Dylan Larkin's captaincy. Can I tell you what all three of those guys have in common, Trent? They are three Hall of Fame in the conversation of greatest hockey players of all time guys. And before that, the Gordie Howes of the world and the Alex Del Vecchios and who in Ted Lindsay's and whoever else wore the sea for the Red Wings. And, and, and the reason why I'm struggling to find those exact names, is because Steve Eiserman was the captain for 20 something fucking years before giving it over to a guy nicknamed the perfect human before then giving it over to a guy that won a con Smythe in the Stanley cup playoffs with the Red Wings in 08. And he'll be in the hall of fame is one of the greatest hockey players ever. So, to put Dylan Larkin in this category uh, of holding him to the standard of the Steve Eisermans and the in the the Zetterbergs and Lindstroms of the world, you have to keep in mind, guys. When Steve Eiserman retired, Nick's, Nicholas Lidstrom wasn't 24 years old being handed the captaincy. When Nicholas Lidstrom retired, Henrik Zetterberg wasn't 24 years old when he was handed the captaincy. Those were guys that were proven veteran, top of the league, high class guys, Champions. championship players that played on unbelievable teams that you handed the captaincy to. 
you give Dylan Larkin the captaincy amidst the rebuild when the team sucks, when he's entering the prime of his career as a young kid. So for anyone to sit here and, and, and tell me that Dylan Larkin's not a good leader, he's not fit to be a captain, he doesn't fit the mold, who the fuck on this roster do you want to captain this hockey team? Because Dylan Larkin showed you this year, if there was any doubt, that he is the best and most valuable player on this team. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe we take a step back and go, as far as value is concerned, most cider as a, as a true number one defenseman is more valuable. Fine, I'll give you that. Dylan Larkin led your team in points as he pretty much does every single year. Well, so, also, Rabs, I want to throw into if I'm not mistaken, they won a couple seasons without having a captain, right? So yeah, it's one, not like one or two seasons. So, so it's not yes. like they just threw it to him because they're like, oh, someone's got to do it. They made him earn it and they took their time with it. And I think that deserves mentioning. I don't know. Yeah, and for all for all these people, and there there are there are trust me, I I know the Red Wings fan base. There are very few, if any, people that exist out there that are not on board with this Iser plan thing. Steve Iserman's the guy that gave him the fucking C. So it, it, like really like we do you don't now you don't trust Steve Iserman for giving Dylan Larkin the captaincy. So I want to get that out of the way right now. Anyone that wants to come to me and tell me that Dylan Larkin is not fit to be a captain of this team, you can shove it right up your hoop because that, that's the most disingenuous, disrespectful thing I've ever heard. Now, let's talk about his play. Is a guy that has been watching hockey since I was, I don't know, since TVs were invented, Trent. And of course, I'm not sitting here and telling you I'm the, the, the be-all, end-all of hockey knowledge. And as I said earlier in this podcast, my opinion means as much as everyone else is out there, and it doesn't mean shit. I'm very well aware. I watch a ton of hockey. I watch a ton of Red Wings hockey. I, I coach the game now. I've played the game. Dylan Larkin is one of the most complete centermen in the entire National Hockey League. Now, granted, let alone the fact, Trent, and we can start with this, 69 points in 71 games. So let's call him a point-per-game player. Is that yeah. fair? I'm yes. sorry he doesn't have the extra two points to get to 71. So let's say he stays on that pace, and let's, let's just call it, for the sake of conversation, 82 points in 82 games. There's only a handful, I want to say maybe five to seven guys in the league this year that had over 100 points. Now, you might say that 82 is far off from 100. I would tell you when you're playing on a team that sucks and that gets scored on every time you blink and that he really doesn't have a ton of help up. Well, that's a big part of it, too, is it not? I mean, yeah, when he starts to get the supporting cast back a little bit and Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond develop a little more and you get a better coach, and like a lot of this matters. So, I yeah, like and, and trust me, it has gotten way better because my whole thing last year on Larkin was he had no help. When you had Lucas Raymond of that top line and you have Tyler Bertuzzi as good as he was this year, unbelievable step that, that Dylan Larkin took in his game. Those guys are a lot to think of it. But, it, but being a point-per-game player in this league is not easy. And I got news for you. Dylan Larkin doesn't have to be a point-per-game player for this team to win a Stanley Cup, bro. I was listening to Darren McCarty talk, talk about something similar on this topic, and he was saying Steve Eiserman wasn't a point-per-game player. He didn't lead the team in goals. He didn't lead the team in, in every statistical category when the Wings were winning Cups. He wasn't. So for this team to be successful, Dylan Larkin doesn't have to be putting up 100 points a year, bro. And I'll tell you what, he can. 
He really can when he stays healthy and this team is better and he doesn't have to bust his ass in all three zones, which he does because this team is so bad defensively. So as far as point production to lead the team in points and in goals and to be second in assists and to be a point per game player, I do not know what else you want from this kid besides the point production. Anyone that watches the Red Wings, that the, and there's those people out there that he doesn't play hard, he's unmotivated, he's not good defensively. Well, Rabs, you know those, what the people those... want? You know what the people want? They want the Wings to win, and if the Wings aren't winning, they have a, they have to have a scapegoat because people always got to bitch right. about something. So right. they're gonna so, they're cool. gonna bitch about the, they're gonna bitch about the guy who was the yeah your your, your captain because he's got the right. label. But it's like. This is a guy, Dylan Larkin, that I that I watch every time I watch the Wings, which is I you know I probably watch bits and bits and pieces of almost every all eighty two games this season. But his offense speaks for itself as a centerman. First of all, do people forget when I think Dylan Larkin won the fastest skater contest? So speed wise, yeah, yeah. he's he he's counts. one of the he's one of the faster players in the league. So the guy can fly. He's got 31 goals and 38 assists. It's not like he's got seven goals and 50 assists to where it's like, oh, my God, the guy can't put the put the puck in the net. It seems like every single time you saw a score alert come across in the first period of who got the wings jump started, it was Dylan Larkin. He was a part of like literally every single goal this year. So not only does his speed allow him to create for himself, but he's also able to create for others. And I think that that's like really what his bread and butter is, is being that playmaking centerman. And, you know, you see that as evident by the fact that Tyler Bertuzzi had 30 goals this year. Lucas Raymond had 23 goals this year. When Vladislav Nemesnikov was on this team, when he was in his little like hot scoring streak, he was playing on the first line with Dylan Larkin. Like that's where the goals were coming from. So the guy can create, he's responsible in all three zones. To say he's not good defensively on a team that sucks defensively is just like, like no one who is good defensively on this team. Yeah, you're, at some point, who? you're a product of your environment. Who? They suck defensively. The only yeah. guy that was a plus rating on this team was Oscar, Oscar Sunquist was a plus one. He played 18 games with the fucking team. So give me a break on that. Dylan Larkin every night is is – is the hardest working player, if not one of the hardest three working players outside of like, I'll give you a Tyler Bertuzzi and usually most siders working pretty hard out there. He works his ass off. He does. He's, he's, he's had the best year of, of his career probably so far, as far as the, the, the totality of his work. I've said that word a thousand times so far this podcast, but he, he's, he really was the best player on the ice for the Red Wings in pretty much every single game this year. Easy. Whenever you see scrums in front of the net, when you see guys dropping the gloves, you know, I got news for you. It's usually Dylan Larkin. If it's not Tyler Bertuzzi mixing it up, Dylan Larkin's not afraid to drop the gloves and stand up for his teammates. He's not. So of all things with this team, for people to look at Dylan Larkin like he's the problem, it's just ignorant. It's 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 uninformed, unknowledgeable, stupid nonsense bullshit. And if you want to be one of those guys that comes to me and tells me he's not good enough to be a number one center in the league, I would disagree with you incredibly on that. I, I think that that's foolish to say. If you want to tell me that Dylan Larkin can't be the number one center on a Stanley Cup winning team, 
I give you a little bit more of an edge there, but I would still fight you on it. But I will tell you, if Dylan Larkin's role here is going to be a number two center, if you can find a guy that's better than Dylan Larkin to play in that number one center role, good luck because Steve Eiserman will tell you himself, it's not easy to get elite superstar players through free agency. It's not. The way you do it is you build through the draft. That's how the Tampa Bay Lightning were built, and that team's an absolute wagon. So if you want this team to get to that level, it's done through the draft. It's done through trade acquisitions, which the Red Wings can do because they have draft picks and young talent. It is very, very difficult to get elite superstar talent through free agency because all those guys that can play get locked up. And it sure is shit damn near impossible to get a true number one center through free agency of all things. That's that's your white whale. So miss me with the fact that Dylan Larkin's not good enough to be a number one center in this league. If you want to tell me that he has to be the number two center for this team to succeed, Maybe I hear you a bit more, but but you need to direct your angst for this team somewhere else. So that's my Dylan Larkin speech. Other guys I'll rifle through. Tyler Bertuzzi, 62 points in 68 games. He had 30 goals this year for a guy that wasn't allowed to play every single game this year. Tyler Bertuzzi was excellent this year. He brings that sandpaper. He plays with that jam. He's a scrappy, gritty guy. Everything he does is ugly but he gets the job done. And I think that that Larkin Raymond Bertuzzi line is Lucas Raymond gets better and better with time. And, and, you know, you, you don't have to play Tyler Bertuzzi on that top line. I've always said that I think Tyler Bertuzzi is a great middle six player on a really good team. And I would, I would bet you that as time goes on here and the wings fill this roster out, I think that you're going to see him, on the wing on a second or third line on this Red Wings team, and that he is going to be impossible to play against, and he will light up the score sheet. A tremendous year for that young man in a year that that you know we're looking we're looking towards this summer now as far as contract extensions are concerned. It sounded like the the wings were shopping him a bit, but to 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 Steve Eiserman's point, everyone was essentially available besides Raymond and Sider, which is fine. I'm fine with that. Listen to offers, but I think Tyler Bertuzzi coming off of a year where he got injured and was out for most of the year. And it sucked because he was trying to play for a contract. Maybe I had my years mixed up, but whatever the year it was going into the year that he had to sign a contract, he, he was hurt. And, you know, now you just, you, you see the Red Wings lock him up for a couple of years and he will have to be re-upped after this next following year. Um, I think Tyler Bertuzzi deserves the money, whatever, whatever he needs to get paid. I think that he is such a guy that is, is, it sounds like he's a really important piece of that locker room and, and in uh, barring the price being astronomical, you have to bring him back. I, I just, I, I think you do. I, I think that he, he gives you that much from a complete game that you have to bring him back. Dylan Larkin, too, no question. I won't even entertain the thought of not bringing him back if he wants to even be here, dealing with all the bullshit that you guys give him all, all the time. But other than that, going down the roster, I mean, Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider, you can't say enough good things. 57 points in 82 games for Lucas Raymond, 50 points in 82 games for Mo Sider. Uh, the 43 assists for, uh, for Mo Sider, I believe, led all rookies. Um, and as far as how they look against the rest of the rookies in the league, Michael Bunting finished uh, with most points with 63. 
And then you have Trevor Zegers at 61, Lucas Raymond 57, then Mo Sider at 50. Michael Bunting's like 100 years old, by the way. He's like one of those rookies that just came out really, really, really late and finally is getting his chance and is playing with two of the better players in the world. So I won't even have that discussion of why he doesn't deserve to win the Calder. Mo Sider with 50 points on this Red Wings team that absolutely sucked. As a defenseman, his plus minus as it was a minus nine, and yes, as a defenseman, as a true number one defenseman, that's your Calder winner. And if he's not, I'll raise hell. But you have two guys that are going to finish top three, maybe even top two in in Calder voting. So, from that standpoint, you can't be any happier. I mean, you, you, for the sake of time, I'll I'll just leave it at it. I think the numbers speak for themselves. And anyone who's watched this team this year knows how good these two guys have been. And people around the league are noticing too. Like they, everyone sees it. Like these guys get talked about all the time. Um, Philip Pronick was your next leading point scorer with 38 points in 78 games. Um, I look, I could, I could sit here and talk to you all day long. As far as this roster is concerned, I'll, I'll skip around a bit. Um, I guess the two guys I'll, I'll get to uh, uh, Philip Zadina and Michael Rasmussen, because those are the guys that have prime eyes on them. Michael Rasmussen's towards the end of the year really started to put things together. He's he, his skating has improved a ton. I think he's playing with a lot more confidence now and understanding with his size, how big of a presence he can be. He just seemed to be a bit, just just a little bit more aggressive this this year around the net and being able to really get the puck home. And I, I thought he was playing really hard and really well towards the end of the season. And he started to light up the score sheet. I mean, he finished with 15 goals. I'm not sure how many he had there in the last like month of the season or so, but it seemed like you know every other night or every night he was he was getting on the score sheet, filling up the net. So he's come a long way. That's a guy that you have under contract for two more years beyond this at a really, really cheap rate of like 1.25 mil, I think. So it, it seems like the Red Wings are going to try to use him in that fourth line center role, maybe the third line center role, depending on what you do with Joe Valeno. Um, but I think Michael Rasmussen for, for what he's getting paid and he's only 23 years old still guys. Um, I, I think that he'll just continue to get better. And, and, and you have to look at a guy like that. I know he was a ninth overall pick. Not every guy in the league is getting younger. Sure. And you're seeing more and more guys coming to 18, 19 and having a really good, good year. Not every guy's Connor McDavid. Not every guy's Lucas Raymond, Tim Stutzla, Trevor Zegris. Like they're just not. So, you know, I am critical of Michael Rasmussen, sure, but I think he proved a lot of people wrong this year, and he took a really big step. Not every guy can come in the league at 18 and dominate. He's 23 years old, as I said, and as far as development is concerned, yes, his development is behind. I would say you want to see more out of him now, but look, I mean, to, to, to throw up 15 goals and 12 assists in 80 games playing in the bottom six, and as, as with the size that he has, I'm fine with him being that fourth line center right now. I really am going into next year. I have no qualms. Philip Zadina, 24 points in 74 games, minus 24 rating. This is the most frustrating player on this Detroit Red Wings roster. And I, and if I'm going to be fair to Michael Rasmussen, I have to do the same to Philip Zadina. Philip Zadina is 22 years old. He's a, he's a restricted free agent after this year. I would have to imagine based on where he was drafted, and the expectations that he has, the Red Wings are going to bring him back, and they should. But the, the clock is ticking on Philip Zadina. 
And he is a guy that was supposed to come into this league and just be an absolute weapon as far as goal scoring is concerned. And you haven't seen it. 10 goals in 74 games, it's not going to cut it. And Phillips Zadina was given every opportunity in the world this year. He got to play on the first line. He got to play on the second line. He was, you know, usually you'd see him on the third, fourth line on any given night. That's, you know, that's kind of where he fell as the year went on and deservedly so because defensively he just really lacks responsibility and awareness. And it always seems like he's getting caught either out of position or coming back on a back check. And the guy he's supposed to pick up is putting the puck in the net and popping Nadelkovich's water bottle. So I'll give you that, but look, he's 22 years old. I'm trying to remain optimistic. I get frustrated watching him just like everyone else does. And at a certain point, something's got to give. They were they were trying to showcase him on that first line this year, and I think maybe trying to draw some type of trade interest. It probably wasn't there. So as a restricted free agent, I think that you're going to be able to get Phillips Adina at a very, very fair price. And at the price that you're going to be able to get him at, because of the fact that he hasn't really done shit here as far as what he's capable of, you would think, in theory, it's worth having him here. I mean, that's not a guy at 22 that I'm willing to just throw away for nothing. So if Steve Eiserman doesn't think he's a part of the future here, if he doesn't fit the mold, which really he doesn't look like he has, then I think he gets re-upped for, I don't know, one, two, three years, and you can look to you can look to move him. But he's he's something's got to give. I mean – He's supposed to be this goal-scoring talent that he just hasn't been so far, and I know it's frustrating. I'm frustrated too, but, you know, so that's the guy that you're looking to get more out of. Other than that, Trent, I mean, Oscar Sundquist comes over. I think that he was, you know, pretty respectable eight points in 18 games. He was a plus-one rating. He adds, you know, depth as far as your toughness is concerned is more of a power forward on your team um, that can play in that bottom six. Um, you know, Jake Wallman comes over as well, four points in 19 games. I actually thought he looked pretty, pretty good. Um, I, I, I like what I see. He's a really good skater. Um, the defense as a whole here, um, obviously a, a really tough season for those guys, right? Like the, the, the team that is continually at the bottom of the league and goals against, and it's, they're not all to blame, but they are a huge portion of that to blame. And, you know, I don't think that Danny DeKaiser will be back beyond this year. Mark Stahl, I could, God, I could see them giving him a one year for cheap money. But to Mark Stahl's credit, like, he only a minus one rating on a really bad defensive team. Like, like defensively, he's somehow, somehow, some way, he's able to keep the puck out of the net when he's on the ice. But Well, didn't they just do that, Rabs, too? Wasn't this season, wasn't it a one-year deal? Yeah, and, and yeah. For, for a guy that was making a ton of money before that deal was signed, I mean, you bring him back for pretty cheap. I would like to see the Red Wings just move on and just they need to get faster. They need to get better with the puck in their own zone. They, they need to be able to move the puck up ice more efficiently. And, and I always love, you know, not, not every defenseman has to be able to jump into play and create offense, but fuck, they don't have many guys that can do it on that defensive core. So but, you know, like the trade-off is Philip Hironic is a guy that's like really good to offensively. I mean, what's his plus minus this year? Not good at all, huh? Let me, hold on one second. Minus 29. Yeah. I mean, fuck. Like that's the trade-off that you get. So defensively, like I said, you, you roll guys in. I mean, Wallman comes in. Osterley, I, I'm not very high on Jordan. Osterley, eight points in 45 games for him. Um, you end up adding Ole Ulevi into the mix. No points for the wings in eight games. And – he was really struggling to get ice time. I don't know if he was hurt or if they just didn't like what they saw out of him, um, but I believe he's an unrestricted free agent after this season, so I'm curious as to what they do with him. 
but the, you know, the defense kind of stunk. The only other guy Trent that I'll spend time on before I get to the goaltending and for the people listening at home, I hope obviously people listening to this are obviously Red Wings fans. So I, I thank you for bearing with me. Yeah. I'm there's nothing else it. the rest of the show. So, I mean, if they're it's, not, it's anyway. twisted and convoluted and whatnot. Um, the only other guy I'll touch on because I, I, I really could, I could go through every single player with you. I won't do that. Jacob Vrana. Holy shit. What a trade. I mean, this guy comes in after being hurt all year long. He only gets in 26 games for you. 19 points in 26 games. He's got 13 goals, minus eight rating. His shooting percentage is like 20% too, which is really fucking good. I'm swearing too much too. I apologize. But my God, I mean, what a trade. I did see Anthony Mantha score the other night for, no, he didn't score. He had an assist on that goal that I watched. Like, the wings won this. Tra- I don't care what hat. Like th- this was such a great trade for the wings. It can't be said enough. Jacob Verana, talk about a guy that can fill up the net. Just an absolute sniper. Like that. Like this is your. This is what Phillips Zadina was supposed to be, man. A guy that just on any given night, just a lethal shot can find the back of the net. He's just one of those guys that can score. He's got a great motor. Um, really nice speed, and, and and for a guy that truly could be playing on your first line that was used a lot more in the middle six. Now going forward, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know if they, they want him to end up being a guy that can play the wing on the first line. I truly think that your Bertuzzi Larkin Raymond line as it sits right now is absolutely fine to me. And I'll get into the off season stuff at the very end of all this stuff, but I don't necessarily think Pew Suter is the answer in your second line center role. So maybe you get a little bit of, a little bit of help up there and, and can get Jacob Vrana, you know, to fill up the net even more, but just tremendous. And, and it sucked that you, you haven't had a full season of Jacob Vrana, Vrana yet. So I'm praying he stays healthy throughout the off season and you can get, I don't know, 70 to 82 games out of him next year, because just a tremendous player. That's a guy that can, that can just generate offense for you by filling up the net. And it's, it's just a pleasure to watch him play. And in one of the very, glaring bright spots of this team going forward. Now to finish this whole player roster deal, I'll talk about goalies and then I'll get into the Jeff Blaschel stuff and we'll talk about where we go from that. And I promise you guys, I'll stop talking. Um, so let's go to goaltending. Now, Alex and comes over this year and very exciting for the, for the Red Wings and for Red Wings fans. He's a young goalie. Um, he's a somewhat local kid. I haven't played for the Plymouth Whalers. Um, and Alex Nadelkovich has always been looked at a guy that's had a really high ceiling, even throughout juniors and, and throughout his career in the AHL, having won a, won a cup with the Charlotte Checkers in the AHL. Um, I, I think that the ceiling for Alex Nadelkovich is incredibly high. And granted, yes, there were times this year where he looked really, really bad and let in a ton of goals. And it was just like, oh, my God, like, here we go again with the goalies. But mind you, he was really good to start the year. He really was. And towards the end of the year, he was good as well. And I do want people to make note of this. Alex Nadelkovich is considered a rookie. He's a rookie this year. And I know that doesn't make a lot of sense to people who don't watch hockey because it's like, what the hell? He played, he played games last year for Carolina. Yes, but there's a certain amount of games threshold that you have to play in to be considered a rookie or whatever. He didn't get to that to that threshold. So this year was considered his rookie season. He finishes the year three, 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 one goals against uh, nine Oh one save percentage. His record was 20 and 24 and nine, which I don't really look at that. The, the goalie wins losses stuff to me. Like you have to look at how, you know, you're defensively and they were the wings, obviously whatever we've already covered that stuff. So 
Um, the other portion of this too is like Thomas Grice is your backup. And I've always been so high on Thomas Grice because he's a, he's a veteran guy. He's great in the locker room. And if you look at his stats throughout his entire career, he is consistently above a, a 90% save percentage, um, usually sub three goals against the average and a really serviceable backup. And he was really good for the wings last year in kind of that like split starter role. Um, not good at all this year. This is a guy that will not be back by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so and again, take a look at the defense, but um, Thomas Grice was not good by any means this year. There's, there's no beating around the bush on that. So, you know, to me, you bring over Magnus Helberg. And I know I mentioned this, and I think that was kind of the last episode that we talked before we got into the, you know, before we got lost in the weeds and didn't cover the wings for a while. But Magnus Helberg gets, I believe he got the start for the last game of the season. He gets the win. Um, good for him. Uh, a guy that had a little bit of time in the NHL is kind of like a fringe starter backup. Um, then goes over to the KHL and just absolutely lights it up. Like this guy's numbers are absolutely incredible. And I think the plan for Marcus Helberg should be, in my opinion, Thomas Grice won't be coming back. So unless you find something in your in your AHL system that you like to back up Alex Nadalkovich. Magnus Helberg could be the guy next year behind Ned. And I, I, what I appreciate about how the wings handled the goaltending was the fact that Alex, it was his net. Alex and played in 59 games this year. Thomas Grice had 31. They committed to Alex and being the goalie. And that's important for his development. And I think as far as the future of this team is concerned, that it was, it was his net and granted, the numbers when it's all said and done weren't tremendous and they could be better and they will be better going forward. But um, I think that Magnus Helberg for just based on what I, what I've seen from his statistics and, and obviously only played one game for the wings this year. So it's hard to really say, but I think that the wings could be comfortable with him coming back as the backup goaltender next year. And that's, I think they're going to be absolutely fine with that. Now, the thing that you have to take into consideration, folks, is your goaltender of the future is waiting in the wings, Sebastian Kosa. And he took a little bit of a step back this year as far as his performance. And really, it's you look at where he was last year, I don't know how anyone in the world tops that from his performance last year of his stupid numbers of, like, I think sub two goals against average and his save percentage was like 940 or something like that. So it took a little bit of a step back this year, but still a tremendous talent and the size at six, seven, six, eight. I mean, he's that's, he's the Vasilevsky of the Red Wings. So he did sign his entry level deal. So to me, that might say that depending on any, any unforeseen circumstances or him not playing well in camp over the summer, I think he'll be up with the Griffins next year. Um, I, I don't foresee him, making this Red Wings roster next year, just based on the fact that it does, you know, goalies are, well, goalies take some time, man. It's very, very rare for goalies to get drafted, even if they get drafted like high overall, for them to come in and play right away. I mean, I think Marc-Andre Fleury played pretty damn quickly after being drafted. If you want to look at recent memory, I mean, you can go, you can look at like your Carter Hearts and Spencer Knights of the Flyers and Panthers respectively. But after Carter Hart came in and like really blew people away in his rookie rookie season or half a season or whatever, he's been like, okay. He, like he really hasn't been this stud that he's supposed to be. And that I think he will be in the future. I mean, again, the Flyers stink too. So take that with a grain of salt, but Spencer Knight's been really good, but he's not the perennial starter in, in Florida. I mean, they got rid of Dra uh, Drager, right? Jared, right? No, who am I thinking of? 
never mind. Beside the point. But the but the, the Panthers committed to Spencer Knight being the backup goaltender this year for Sergei Bobrovsky. And I mean, in the time that he's had in that, he's been really good. But it's not like he's starting at 19, 20 years old. So um, there's no reason to rush Sebastian Kosa. And I just think people need to re- remember that, like, look, I think the plan is that he's going to take over and be your number one guy. And to have Alex Ndalkovich, by the time Kosa's ready, will be considered a, a veteran in this league. And, and can they can either split time to start or, you know, Ned can back him up and be a really, really nice backup to have. So the goaltending situation will, will get better. I think the plan is set now. Obviously, they have not been good goaltending in some time now. And even in the AHL, um, they haven't been great, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. So goaltending wise, I, I like Ned a lot. I think that people need to take it easy on him because again, he had some bad game this year, but you stunk defensively. So that's it for the roster with me. I'm, I'm, I still have juice in me, believe it or not. And we need to talk about Jeff Blashill and the coaching situation. And we'll talk about where we go from here. So obviously, as, as we mentioned, Jeff Blashill, Doug Huda, Jeff Salashko, um, their contracts were not renewed by the Detroit Red Wings. The Wings did hang on to Alex Tangay, and I think reason being is because Steve Eiserman brought him over this year from the Iowa Wild in the, in the AHL, and Tangay was supposed to be re- really focused on the power play and was supposed to help this power play out a lot as far as being more efficient, and they really that really wasn't accomplished, and I don't know if that all falls on him, um, but more of an offensive-minded guy, and I think it is of course, ironic because he played on those Colorado Avalanche teams that the Wings had rivalries for for all were with for all those years. Um, but he's he's still around here after only being here for a year, which makes a ton of sense to me. But other than that, they clean house. Um, and and this to me presents an opportunity that the Red Wings have been looking for with Steve Eiserman. That there's there's two things. There's two things that when it comes to the Iser plan that, that have, have not been allowed to happen yet. Number one is these guys like your Rasmussen, Zadina's, whatever. Um, some of these Kenny Holland draft picks that are still like looming around that you're trying to feel out. Steve Eiserman ha- hasn't really been able to make those decisions yet as far as like, okay, what are we doing with them? Because they're under contract on their rookie deals. Now, Michael Rasmussen was re-upped and he'll be a free agent again in two years. But Philip Zadina, this is, you know, his first summer being a free agent, and you're going to get to see what Steve Eiserman really thinks about him. So there's a couple guys that weren't Eiserman guys that are still floating around here that Steve Eiserman still has a chance to deal with. And some of those chances are coming this offseason, and I'll get to it. I hope that made sense. But the second prong here is Steve Eiserman has not been able to go get his guy as, as coach and really fill out the coaching staff. And yes, he did give Jeff Blashill an extension, which I think was warranted to bring him back for the next year. And I'll get into why in a second. Um, but this is the first time that Steve Eiserman is going to get a chance to, as you know, in his own words, he's going to put a long list together of guys that he thinks could be a good fit. He's going to make that list shorter and shorter and shorter and go through the interview process and make a decision. So if you're if you're on board with the Eiser plan, which as I've said before, I think everyone pretty much is, this is an exciting time because now you're going to let Steve Eiserman cook. And, and he's the guy that brought John Cooper in in Tampa Bay, and it's it's worked out tremendously. And if you want to follow that model of everything that Eiserman touches turns the gold, you have another chance here to strike gold. And Collins brought up a point earlier in the show of I think the Red Wings should have gone out and gotten Gerard Gallant last year. And it's easy to say now when he's behind the bench of the New York Rangers and they're making a playoff run here 
Um, I get that. I get Gerard Gallant. He played for the wings for a bit. Uh, he's familiar with Steve Eiserman. He's got proven success in the NHL as a head coach. Sure. I mean, hindsight being 2020, that's very fair. Um, but that wasn't the case. And I think that that would have been kind of a spur of the moment forced decision for the wings to make to, to bring Gerard Gallant on. And it didn't happen. So he's not the head coach of the wings. He's not going to be next year. So we can move past that, but very valid on Collins's point, but it's like, Hey, you know, hindsight's 2020. Now where we're at with this is you give Steve Eiserman a chance to go get his guy And look, Jeff Blashill has been here for seven years. He made the playoffs the year after taking over from Mike Babcock and, you know, with the roster that he had and coming off of all the success, the wings have had for years and years, kind of hard not to since then it hasn't been good. And I encourage everyone to go listen to what Steve Eiserman had to say about Jeff Blashill, because I think that people were really, really unfair with Jeff Blashill. This roster under Jeff Blashill's tenure stunk. And you have to imagine, or you have to consider too, that for most of his tenure here in Detroit, Jeff Blashill was coaching a roster that Kenny Holland put together that I think many would agree wasn't necessarily anything special. And it was part of the reason why people kind of were at their wits end with Ken Holland. Like, the roster's not good, Kenny. Why are you giving Justin Ablocator and Danny DeKaiser four and a half million dollars to play on this team? Like what's like what's going on? You know? So I mean, Jeff Blashill had to coach a team with your Franz Nielsen's and your Ablocators and your DeKaisers and you know, like your Darren Hell. Like it just and it felt filpula. It's like it wasn't he was never set up for success with the roster. Now, granted, does that mean that the Red Wings had to be that bad? No. And that's why the change was made because they hadn't gotten much better, but you know, people, I just think were really, really unfair with Jeff Blashill and you have to understand where this roster was while Jeff Blashill was here. It wasn't good. They weren't supposed to be good. They were rebuilding. And and a lot of Steve Eiserman's comments, I'll just kind of reiterate here because I agree 100% and I see it the same way of when you're going through a rebuild like this and you're trying to establish young talent that can build this core, it's important for the head coach to be to have that calm demeanor and be able to relate to these players on a personal level, be kind of that player's coach to let these guys get acclimated to the league, get their feet under them and let them go out and play. And Jeff Blashill coming from the Grand Rapids Griffins has been a, around a lot of these guys for a long time now. And I think Jeff Blashill did a great job in Grand Rapids. They want to call their cup with them. And it was, it was kind of a no brainer to let him take that next step and see what happens. And, and to really be the head of a team that wasn't going to be good, I think did a, did a okay job. I think that he did a fine job with the roster that he was given. And this team was never expected to win. And I don't care if you're Gerard Gallant, Scotty Bowman, Mike Babcock, whoever, Don Cherry, I don't know what people think was supposed to happen with this roster. Like, like were these guys supposed to go make a playoff run this year? with this roster or last year or the year before my answer would be fuck. No, the, the roster has been terrible and they're trying to work through that. So Jeff Blashill is a good man. He's a player's coach. I think a lot of the players like him and respect him. And as Steve Eiserman said, the, the Jeff Blashill is a professional and he's got that calm demeanor. You never see Jeff Blashill get worked up on the bench or be tearing into guys or, or making fools of guys in, in their, in a press conference and calling out his team and calling out individual players. You never see Blashill do any of that. 
So I think that Jeff Blashill served his purpose of being a very steady hand in that locker room to keep the ship afloat. And it's the unfortunate reality of, yes, as time has gone on, and as Steve Eiserman said himself, the reason why the change was made was not because Jeff Blashill is a bad guy or people don't respect him or, or this and that. And, and, and sure, maybe the message has gotten stale, but the team is simply not improved. And, and, and that, it makes sense. And from a player development standpoint, I think that there's a couple guys that you can look at and say have definitely gotten better. I think Michael Rasmussen's gotten better. Um, I think Philip Hironik has gotten better offensively. I, I would say that Tyler Bertuzzi's taken a step and maybe those are guys that are a bit older and it's not, you know, it's not a tremendous sample size to look at because the Red Wings have filled their roster with some like veteran talent as of late to kind of fill the holes. But, you know, maybe a guy like Phillips Adina, you look at and go, well, he hasn't gotten any better. And is the coach a, a part to, to blame in that lack of development? Sure. Of course it is. So the team hasn't gotten better from the standpoint of their special teams, their, their defensive hockey and, whether or not the message has gotten stale, because look, you know, people, I think that everyone looks at Jeff Blashill favorably, but at a certain point when you're losing like the Red Wings do, and they come out on certain nights and just look completely unmotivated and disinterested, it was time for a change. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm happy because we're talking about a guy, despite what Ryan Collins likes to minimize the fact that Jeff Blashill you know, he makes, he made millions of dollars and he got the coach for seven or eight years. He is a human being. It's always tough when you see a guy, you know, kind of get kicked the boot a little bit. He's a very good man. He's very active in the community with his family and his kids that play hockey locally. So I wish him all the best. I think that he will be able to coach again, maybe not in a head coaching role, um, but I, I can 100% see him behind the bench um, in an NHL organization sometime soon. So I wish him the best, but you, you, you clean house here. I mean, Doug Huda goes, Jeff Salashko goes, and you have a fresh start for Steve Eiserman to hire a pretty much with the exception of Alex Tangay, a brand new staff. That's, that's going to coach the way that he wants. And I think that the, the, the message that Steve Eiserman got across to, in his press conference of what he wants is he, he needs a coach that is demanding and that's going to, that it's not afraid to sit players when they're not playing well and that'll get in their ass and that'll demand more and push and push and push. And the, the reality of the situation is some guys aren't going to be able to handle it. And, you know, and that's kind of how Scotty Bowman was as far as like, you know, he was a demanding coach, Mike Babcock. You hear all these things in the media about, you know, him rubbing players the wrong way and, and whatnot. And maybe in today's NHL with these younger guys coming in and the personalities and how generations change, maybe it's not the most effective way to coach players, but you do need a guy on this team now that can demand something from this group and they won't stand for guys taking nights off because those guys will be sat. They will be moved. They will be traded. They will be sent down. So I'll, I'll get briefly into like who I think could fill that role, but that's what Steve Eiserman essentially said. Like, he played for Scotty Bowman. He played for, for Mike Babcock, two guys that demanded a lot out of their teams and it led them to Stanley cups. So who that guy is now, I know like Igor Larionov's name got brought up. I do believe he just signed a contract in the KHL. So I don't think that he'll be coming over here at all. Sergei Fedorov's name was brought up as a guy that's had success in the KHL. I mean, would it be kind of a pipe dream of like, oh my gosh, Sergey comes back, like we're getting the band back together? Sure, I don't, I don't know what the what the validity of, of that 
argument is as far as if that's a true contender. I'm sure he'll be on Steve Eiserman's list. Mike Babcock's name got thrown into the mix of a guy that could potentially come back. I think that would be – there's been so much in the media about Mike Babcock, about him being kind of uh, – I don't know, a, a POS for lack of a better term. But again, he won games. Like, so that's, and he won a cup here in Detroit. So I don't know what the reception from Red Wings faithful would be if Mike Babcock came back, but that was a name that got brought up. Another name too was Joel Quenville, um, who most recently coached the Florida Panthers, probably most well-known for his tremendous success behind the bench in Chicago with the Blackhawks. Uh, was let go from the Panthers this year because there was a lot of murky stuff with the whole sexual assault allegations um, from the camp of the Chicago Blackhawks. Not that Joel Quenville was involved. He was not the one accused of sexual, of sexual assault or of doing anything in the wrong, more so of a guy that was in the room and that kind of, you know, did he, did he know what was going on? Did he not? Did he choose to turn a blind eye? That kind of thing. So that's why Florida let him go amidst all the, you know, crap that was surrounding that whole scenario. So I don't know if Steve Eiserman would be willing to take that kind of jump um, and maybe taking some heat for hiring a guy like that, that might not be as favorable in the public eye. I think it would be a tremendous hire as a coach. John Tortorella's out there. Talk about a guy that's probably not a player's coach and that is demanding and gets the most out of his players. That's, I mean, John Tortorella would be a hoot to have over here. So, but knowing Steve Eiserman, he could be going completely off the board with who this pick is, but he's got a, a head coaching role to fill an assistant coaching role to fill one or two assistants. Um, and then one of those guys being a goaltending coach. So this to me is a big trust the process for Steve Eiserman. And, and as the season ends and coaching, you know, other coaches get let go or maybe resign or move on, or, or we'll see what these other teams do or who's available. Um, we can have that conversation later. I don't want to spend a ton more time on it because I've been going forever, but I'll wrap this up with off season and, and, and how we look. So obviously, like I just said, the, the, the coaching decision has to be made and that really in my eyes should be, and probably will be made before this draft takes place. I think in July, June, maybe at the earliest, but I want to say the drafts in July. Um, None, nonetheless, uh, that decision will be made before then. And it's important too. So you can kind of get a feel for what the coach wants to do and, and start building a team. But with the, with the connections that Steve Eiserman has and the desirability of working with a guy like Steve Eiserman, I think that whoever Steve Eiserman wants to go get, he'll be able to get, unless he wants a guy that already has a job and maybe isn't willing to take that big of a leap. But um, I, I, I'm optimistic now kind of wrapping things up here, as far as what needs to happen this off season, um, the, I guess the good thing about this wings roster is there's a couple guys to me that are kind of like no brainers of, of who won't be coming back. And I, I don't, I'm not going to look at the AHL and guys that played the majority of their time in the AHL this year, when I'm talking about this, cause it's really not important as far as I'm concerned, um, in terms of who's going to be re-signed, that's going to fill out the, the AHL roster, um, as far as unrestricted free agents, the Red Wings will have that have played on this team. Carter Rowney, I don't see coming back. He was hurt pretty much. It seemed like the entire year, 32 years old as a, as a center and, and I guess played maybe a little bit on the wing. I don't see him coming back. Magnus Helberg, the goaltender, as I mentioned, at 31 years old. I could see the way the wings bringing him back if, if they're not comfortable with bringing Calvin Picard back, who's also an unrestricted free agent. I don't know if there's someone else out there the wings want to get. 
um, to kind of be that backup to Alex Nadelkovich because Nadelkovich still does have one more year left on his deal. Um, Thomas Grice, I don't think will be back. Steve Eiserman has to make a handful of decisions here with, with restricted free agents. Uh, Phillips Zadina, Mitchell Stevens, Ole Ulevi, and Jake Wallman. If it were up to me, Trent, I'd take all those guys back. I really would. I think Phillips Zadina, um, with, like I said, being as, as high of a draft pick as he is and only being 22 years old, is probably not a guy that you want to give up on right away. So I think that he will be back at a very, very fair price. Mitchell Stevens just sucked that he didn't get to play a lot this year because of his injury. I love his game playing in that bottom six role. I think he can be a, a really nice nail gun for the, for the Red Wings um, on that fourth line. Now you have to make the decision of, is he going to play wing? Is he going to play center? Cause he is a true centerman. Um, given the fact that you do have Michael Rasmussen to worry about, I don't know what the answer is to that question, but I would like to see him get brought back. As far as Ole Levy is concerned and a guy that's 24 years old, you claimed him off of waivers. He didn't get to play a ton this year. Maybe that wing means the wings aren't very high on him. I don't know, but if they end up not offering him a qualifying offer, re-signing him, I think it's no harm, no foul. Cause he really didn't give up anything at all to get him. I just, I, for whatever reason, think that he still has a lot to prove and that he can prove and will prove. So I'd like to see the Red Wings give him a chance, but Jake Wallman, you just acquired in a trade. I would assume the Red Wings want to give him another look next year. Um, so those are your restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents, Danny DeKaiser, Mark Stahl. I think it's probably time to move on from both of those guys. The uh, Kaiser's 32 and as play has only been um, regressing. And I know he's, he's, it seems like he's injured every single year. And I think that he's playing hurt all the time. Um, but that's a contract that takes up 6% of your cap. And at a $5 million clip, I, he, he was getting tremendously overpaid, not his fault. Um, but I think it's time to move on from him and Mark Stahl, I would say, in my opinion. Um, going up into the into the forward group, um, Turner Elson, who I guess played sometime, it doesn't isn't really a big deal for me because you know he's a name that really no one knows unless you're watching the wings. So, um, but I think that the 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 interesting character here is Sam Gagne. He's the only other unrestricted free agent that you have. Um, he'll be 33 next year, I believe. Um, bottom six player. I love Sam Gagne, man. I really do. He's just a tremendous guy to have in the locker room. Absolute consummate professional in his earlier days was a tremendous offensive threat. Um, I, I think that he's great on the penalty kill. He's, he's a great veteran presence in that room. I would have no problem with the Detroit Red Wings bringing him back to play on that fourth line next year as a guy that's been there, done that, has experience in the league. Um, and, and I know he wants to be back here too. So we'll see what they do with that. Other than that, um, there's some contract extensions that are going to have to be looked at for this summer. Uh, Larkin and Bertuzzi have one more year left on their deal. Other guys only having one year left after this following year, Pew Suter, Oscar Sundquist, Adam Ernie. Um, and then obviously, uh, uh, not obviously, but uh, Jordan Osterley is, is going to be an unrestricted, unrestricted free agent in, in two years time. So um, decisions to be made. This is, and, and as far as the draft is concerned, We'll get to it when we get to it. As far as free agency is concerned, Steve Eiserman said he's going to be a lot more aggressive this year. I do think they need to go out and maybe I would love to have John Klingberg on this team. I know talk about plus minus. I don't think his plus minus is ever very good, but I think John Klingberg could be a, a, a very nice veteran presence and a difference maker on this back end. There are a lot of guys that are not making a lot of money right now that I think will end up getting paid going into next year that the Red Wings could use. Um, I had my free agency list pulled up uh, when I was looking at stuff the other night, and I, I don't really have the energy right now to go into it because we can do it at a later date. But a guy like Nazem Kadri, 
um, was having a tremendous year for Colorado and, and is a big piece of that team now. Um, he'll be a UFA after this year. I would love to see the Wings make a run at him. Um, he would add a ton to your lineup as far as uh, point production, um, but also just kind of being a sandpaper guy who's not afraid to mix it up. Um, but there's there's guys out there that the Wings can fill this roster with um, that aren't making a ton of money right now that probably deserve a raise. Um, but Iserman said he's going to be very aggressive, not very aggressive, but more aggressive in free agency and, and look look to look for him to grab some guys this summer that aren't just stopgap guys that are here to like your, you know, your Troy Stetcher charity deal of here's two years at a really low clip, Troy, let's see what you can do. And if you're good, great. We'll keep you. If not, we'll move on from you. I, I think that his days are probably over of doing stuff like that because you got guys coming up that are going to make a difference this next year. Simon Edvinson will make this team out of camp. I guarantee it. I'll tell you guys, I'm more excited to see Simon Edvinson play than I am Mo Sider. I the just wings, are the Wings going to have back-to-back Calder winners? They could. They really could, Trent. I, think I wonder Simon what the Edvinson odds is. would be on that if you tried to like get yeah, out. I, I don't know, but but he'll be up. Jonathan Bergeron has had, had a great year in Grand Rapids. Uh, he can play center. It looks like they're going to try him on the wing. Um, he'll be up. You have another year of Joe Valeno. You have another year of Michael Rasmussen, another year of Philip Zadina. So there's moves to be made. And, and from many standpoints, there's a draft to be had. Um, and we can get into all that in the coming weeks, because I'll tell you what, I'm exhausted talking about them. I appreciate anyone that has stuck around to listen to me talk about the Red Wings because it is just a lot of rambling and it might not make a lot of sense. And I might be stumbling over words and repeating myself and talking in circles, but that is all I have for my 2022 Detroit Red Wings season recap. Thank you very much. My mouth is incredibly dry. Trent, do you have any questions or anything that you want to jump in here with? I don't mind talking about the wings still. Like I don't want to just, we don't want to close the book. We don't have to, but I just feel like I've been talking in circles and I'm exhausted. So. No, that's fine. I had a couple of questions, but I think that you answered them. Like my oh, question no. was, no, no. My question was like, who's your team MVP? You'd say Larkin. I wanted to ask who surprised you more, Cider Raymond, Cider. So I just, you know, I just, it was that kind of deal. And then obviously I wanted to ask about Ned because I'm always keeping up on the goaltending situation, but you covered all that. You hit it all. Perfect Great. recap. Good. All right. Well, I am I am more than comfortable with not talking about the Detroit Red Wings anymore. Trent, do you want to do a quick like trifecta we can toss back and forth? What do you want to do down the show? Well, one thing I wanted to ask you, I don't have a trifecta, but I yes, do. That's fine. I, I do want to ask you, do you celebrate Cinco de Mayo? Are you doing anything today? Uh, no, my brother and I are going to see Dr. Strange two tonight. Oh, I that's did, right. I actually, yes. Yes. I actually had right. never, I had never seen, I'm a big Marvel guy, big Marvel, big star Wars guy, big parts of the Caribbean guy, um, team Johnny Depp, but I digress. Um, but I had never seen the original Dr. Strange movie. So I actually had work off today. So I sat down and, um, watched Dr. Strange one before I went to the gym, not a big deal. And we will be watching Doctor Strange 2 at 9 o'clock. I am very excited. That's like one thing my brother and I share a lot of joy in together is like going to see these Marvel movies. So um, as far as Cinco de Mayo is concerned, I know there was actually at work today and I'm pissed that I like didn't have to go in today because they had some Cinco de Mayo feast at the work cafe upstairs and I wasn't a part of it. It looked great. Little nacho bar, little uh, I think probably virgin daiquiris and margaritas up there. But nonetheless, they were setting it up yesterday. I was like, fuck, I don't work tomorrow. Uh, that sucks. Um, but I think Cinco de Mayo is fun if it's like on a Friday or a Saturday and you can go out with friends to like a Mexican restaurant and mix it up a bit. Um, I'm sure in East Lansing in a college town, it's just a, it's a drinking holiday. So 
I'm sure you'll be celebrating tonight. I don't, I'm not going to pretend like I, I think I would never like get off my couch and like go to a bar. Cause Oh, it's Cinco de Mayo. You have to go out like St. Patrick's day. It's like, yeah, you got to go out and mix it up. Cinco de Mayo to me. Like, eh, do you really though? But I will tell you, you ever see the movie Coco? Yes. Fantastic movie. Unbelievable movie. I might watch that when I come home though. Actually, it'll be hockey. I want to come home from this movie tonight. So I don't know. Yeah. Coco, my, little, movie. my little buddy Lincoln, who I mentor back home, uh, he is, he is of Mexican descent and he loves Coco and he, he's also probably fired up today. I don't know. I get to see him tomorrow. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see. Uh, nice. Give back to the community. Yes. Get, <laughs> not a big deal, but I am thinking about going over to uh, Los Trace here in a second, getting a margarita just, oh, just for dude, the, I will... You know, just for the, yeah, for the novelty, you're done with you're done with school. It's a drinking holiday. You're on a college campus. Like it, it's a Thursday too. It's not like it's a Tuesday. So yeah, you right. have every excuse in the world. I'm just telling you, if I were to get a text message tonight, like, hey, come out to Royal Oak and we're gonna go to wherever and we're gonna start drinking, like, yeah, I'm I I'm fine. I don't need it. Like I don't I don't care. But I will tell yeah. you, dude, the one thing about East Lansing, they're Mexican restaurants, like those traces ass. I mean, you go there like to drink, I guess, and like eat the chips, which is fine, but yeah, it's not the good. food's not very good. LS Teco food is not very good either, but it's a great time. You sit up top on the rooftop when the weather's nice, you really can't beat it. If I end up coming to East Lansing, which I probably will, um, well, before you move out, I would like to get to the LS Teco rooftop because that's always a good time, that's despite dope. the food not being very good. And I might take some heat for that, but I'm just telling you how it is. The food is not very good, but it's a great time to be out there so all right well that's all i have for you i guess that's all i have for the people one pride all righty well thank you to everyone who tuned in today obviously um two big topics here as we wrapped up the lions draft and put a close to the detroit red wings 2022 season uh we'll have tigers for you next week when we record um and other than that i mean i don't really know what else we're gonna have for a while besides tigers baseball and um, I guess we can keep tabs on the NBA and NHL playoffs and just give you more of a generic sports view. But um, as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Thank you to anyone that was able to suffer through my Red Wings talk. I hope that it's useful and that you enjoy it. Um, but if you want to get in the mix with the show, um, feel free to tweet us at Motown underscore rundown. We're also on Facebook at the Motown rundown page. If you have any comments, concerns, questions, topics you want us to discuss, we love to interact with you guys on social media, whether you agree, disagree, whatever, want us to talk about this, that, and the other, we'll do it. We appreciate it. Do not miss a single episode of the show. We are on Apple Podcasts and we are on Spotify. Go subscribe, follow us, tell a friend, whatever you got to do. Um, but that's it for us today. I guess we'll see you next time. We love you all very much. I'm exhausted. Goodbye. <laughs>